get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is popped behind first. Here comes Acuna streaking near the line. Dives, can't get it. That ball drops, trickles to the warning track. Arenado around third. Here comes the throw to the plate. It's going to be close. It's not in time. A blue pit turns into the game tying run, and the Cardinals have even the score in the second. That's loud and hit to center. Harris on the run, still going. That ball is gone. 15th home run for Walker. The past few games have gone well. I'm just really trying to, uh, you know, get that feeling every at-bat, um, you know, stay comfortable uh, because, you know, this game, as you said, uh, has a lot of ups and downs. I just want to, you know, ride this up for as long as I possibly can. This is as good as you could ask for from Jordan Walker. A really nice homecoming for him last night in Atlanta. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK. Jordan Walker, we opened the show with it yesterday. He is becoming a star right before our very eyes. Whether it's the defensive improvement that we've seen, which has been noteworthy, but also what we're seeing from him offensively. T-Bone, since August 7th, or 2nd, excuse me, he's batting 315. He has an OPS approaching 1,000. The only National League players that have been better from an OPS perspective in this stretch than Jordan Walker. And we're going on more than a month now. Mookie Betts, that guy's pretty good. Marcelo Zuna, Seiya Suzuki, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, DJ Stewart, who's been like this revelation for the Mets, and Ronald Acuna Jr. That is eight players in the National League that have been better from an OPS perspective than Jordan Walker. I'm ready to call it. Call what? The guy's a superstar. Okay. He's the best bat that the Cardinals have developed internally since Albert Pujols. Correct. The Cardinals did something really smart with Albert right away. They got him locked up long-term on a 10-year extension that will go down as the greatest contract they've ever handed out in the history of the franchise. I thought you were going to say move him to first base, but I like this They also idea did too. that. I'm not doing that with Jordan Walker. Uh. He's shown enough improvement that I'm considering him to be the long-term answer in right field. I'm also ready to make him the long-term answer in right field with a contract extension in place. The two guys that are probably the most comparable for what you're going to have to hand to Jordan Walker are Corbin Carroll. He got his almost immediately upon being called up to the big leagues and the Diamondbacks knew what they had and they got that taken care of right away. Eight years, $111 million is what he signed for. Julio Rodriguez. The base extension, because they can opt out of this, the uh, Mariners can after seven years. The base extension was seven years and $119 million. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I tweeted this out as well, at BK Sports Talk. I'm officially in favor of the Cardinals offering an eight-year deal worth $120 million to Jordan Walker this offseason. Something in that range, because that's kind of... Roughly what we're talking about here for these top-end prospects that get called up, show some signs of progress, and then immediately sign long-term deals. So eight years, $120 million. That is what I would be willing to offer Jordan Walker, maybe even a little bit more this offseason. But I've seen enough. I'm ready to call it T-Bone. The guy is going to be a superstar, and he should be in a Cardinals uniform for at least the next eight years.
Yeah, I am typically one of those that hates contract extensions. I came on the air after the Tatis contract extension, said that was a terrible move by San Diego. Still stand by that, and I don't think I'm looking too bad on that one still. I'm in favor of extending Jordan Walker. You're right. He is a superstar in the making for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he should be the next legacy player for the St. Louis Cardinals, where he should start his career here and finish it here in St. Louis. And I know that this contract extension wouldn't put him through the to, through his whole career, but I'm in favor of making it the starting point. And I agree. I, I think you're looking around that Carol Rodriguez deal, eight years worth $120 million this offseason on an extension. I'm absolutely in. I he he looks like a potential five-tool player. You're seeing the improvements defensively. You're seeing the power increase really recently in the last uh, week or so. He does get on base because he hits for a good average. And his base running, it, it has looked questionable at times, but it is also looking more improved as well. Had the great swim move at home plate just the other day in the series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. He is a five-tool player to me in the future. He's slowly progressing towards that. I think he can be better than what you thought Tyler O'Neill was going to be, and they always view Tyler O'Neill as a five-tool player. So I'm totally in favor of giving him this contract extension to eight years at $120 million this offseason. I think he's the lone guy that I would throw my exception out the window and say, you know what, I'm typically not a guy that loves extensions. I'm willing to do it for this guy because he is the best guy developed since Albert Pujols. Here's the other thing for me with an extension for Jordan Walker, too. A lot of guys are sometimes you have the concern when you give out an extension that they become complacent or they start to fall off. I don't really have that concern with Jordan Walker, just knowing the type of player, knowing the type of person he is, what we've learned over the course of this season it doesn't seem like he'd be the type of guy that would just sort of fall off or become complacent after getting a long-term extension so that's another reason at least for me that I wouldn't mind seeing the Cardinals extend a guy like Jordan Walker yeah I have no issues with that whatsoever um I think that we've seen the person is as impressive with Jordan Walker as the player has been and you saw last night they were interviewing his family at the ballpark while he was putting on a show for everybody in attendance it's not hard to see why his family comes from, or his family is, they went to like MIT and Wash U. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, this is the type of person that you sign long-term. This is exactly the type of person that you sign long-term. We've got some texts that are saying, some say, hey, do not give him that much money that many years this early. It's too early. It's too quick. Others are saying, this is something that he's going to have to end up getting like more money. I, I fall somewhere in between. I think this is a pretty reasonable type of a deal for him. Because if he goes through the pre-arbitration process, he's going to get like a million dollars each of the next two seasons. Instead, with a contract extension in place, he can make like three next year, five the year after that. And then the way that this would work is, at least with Corbin Carroll's deal, for example, the final two years of that contract, he's making like $28 million. So what he gets is certainty. He locks himself into making $120 million. That is life-changing money for you, for your family, for everybody around you. There's certainty in place, whether you're injured, whatever happens, you know, I am making $100 million for the next eight years. Man, that is a really nice place that to be. That sounds nice. The other thing, though, for the team is it locks you in past those arbitration years. Jordan Walker, if this continues could get crazy money in arbitration. I mean, this is the type of player that gets 20 plus million dollars in the final two years of ARP. Kind of similar to like what you're seeing with Juan Soto or what you could see with like Ronald Acuna Jr. if he didn't get a contract extension. So instead of doing that, you're kind of leveling out what that salary is going to be. And for the Cardinals, I think this is maybe most important. It helps them plan 
for future years. You don't have to guess what Jordan Walker is going to be. You know, okay, as of 2023, this offseason, we know exactly what Jordan Walker is going to be making in 2030. So you can plan accordingly around that. Base your payroll, base the contracts that you're giving out around what you know Jordan Walker to be making year to year. So I think it's good for the team. I think it's good for the player. I think everybody can win in this scenario. And I also feel like Jordan Walker is the type of person, to your point, Grant, that would be open to discussing a long-term deal now so he doesn't have to worry about the money side of things. I don't have to worry about going to arbitration like Helsley and O'Neal have gotten frustrated with over the last couple of seasons. I don't have to worry about whether or not my contract is going to live up to what my performance is. I'm going to take care of the on-field stuff. The business side is done for until I turn 30 years old. And then we can come back to the negotiating table. That's the other thing about this. He's so damn young. You're locking up his 20s. By giving him an eight-year contract extension right now. So I'm all in. Couldn't be more in on Jordan Walker. I have been highly impressed by what we have seen out of him, especially over the course of the last month, both offensively and defensively. Grant, you had one other thing, though, that you mentioned before the show today that's been standing out to you about him. And it is something that I think for like some of our texters, they're probably falling in love with Walker about lately too. Yeah, just watching last night, him being in Atlanta, his hometown for the first time, it's that clutch moment, right? Like we've seen it at times this season when he gets into those high leverage situations that he performs. And last night was one of those situations. His family's there. He's back in his hometown for the first time. And he goes three for four with the home run. Like, when you get into those situations, that's when you need your players to shine. And it's what the Cardinals lacked last season come playoff time. They didn't have that bat in the lineup that when the moment came, they stepped up and took it. And I could just see it. When the Cardinals get back into the playoffs, Jordan Walker is going to be one of those guys that is going to be counted on. It's going to be that time for him where it is going to be the the type of player that the Cardinals lean on for those clutch moments. And he's already showing that he can do that in his rookie season. So when he said this, I was like, ah, you feels that way. But I, I wonder if the numbers match up with that, because sometimes we anecdotally remember the stuff that works out and not the stuff that doesn't. And it could be the opposite, too. Like last year, we remember Goldie and Arenado not coming through in the playoffs. But all regular season, for the most part, those guys were coming through in the clutch moments. The eye test matches the numbers in this specific scenario, though. Jordan Walker's been the Cardinals' second best player in high leverage situations this year. He's got an OPS over 1,000. He's batting 300 with a slugging percentage of 670 in high leverage spots. Now, it's only 40 plate appearances, so incredibly small sample size. But that's kind of how it works. You're the good or bad in those spots. And so far, Jordan Walker has been excellent in them. Hopefully that continues. He feels like the type of player where it would. And last night, I think you saw that again. Yeah. And, and I think with Jordan Walker, it, when you look at him at the plate in those scenarios too, I, I can see how that can end up matching what the numbers say because he just looks calm at home plate. And I think that's why for me, like I've seen a couple of texts that come in and look, referring to like, Pump the brakes, O'Neal, DeYoung, Carpenter. Look at those contract extensions. Get out of here. This guy is not the same as those players. Exactly. And, and he can slow the game down. And, and I think that's what's impressive. He's not really, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, I can't really remember a point except maybe early on before he got sent down where he's just looked completely overmatched at home plate. For the most part, I think he's done a very good job of staying calm, making adjustments, and finding a way through some struggles this season. I don't think he's ever been at a point where I look at him at home plate and go, 
this guy just can't hit. I think there have been games where I felt that way. I don't know that there has been a single prolonged stretch yeah. where I felt that way. Where like for a 10-day stretch, you're like, oh, he's just, he's underwater right now. He he can't figure out what's going on, how teams are pitching him. I've never felt that way for an extended stretch. I have felt that way in individual games where it's been like, oh, just not a good game for Jordan Walker. That happens. I felt that way about Nolan Arenado this season at times. I felt that way certainly about Paul Goldschmidt for like a three-week stretch where he just could not catch up to the fastball. I haven't necessarily felt that way about Jordan Walker this year. So I do think to your point that that is something that speaks to his, and they talked about this all the time down at the ballpark, his aptitude. He finds a way, he finds answers very quickly at the plate. Um, And that's something that you're going to need because teams are going to keep trying to find new ways to get you out. And they're going to keep trying to find those holes in your swing. I mentioned that I asked this on Twitter as well. Uh, The poll is, would you be in favor of the Cardinals offering Jordan Walker an eight-year extension worth $120 million this offseason? So far, we have more than 1,000 votes. 86% are yes. 86%. I think that it's a no-brainer for both sides, honestly. And I know that it doesn't sound like a ton of money for Jordan Walker because we think in free agency terms, he's not there yet. This would be buying out his pre-arb and arbitration years. I would have to go through to think of exactly what that would look like for him, but he's probably going to get like a million bucks each of the next two years and then 5, 10, 20, something around there. So you're talking like 40, 50 million bucks over the next five years. You're putting together over the next three years after that 70 million bucks. That feels about right to me. Yeah. It feels about right. I I would agree with you. And I, I think when you look at Jordan Walker again, it just comes down to, and I think that tells you right there, I see on the text line sometimes talking about you can't have Walker in the outfield, you can't have Walker in the outfield. I think people are realizing that the bat is special and that the defense is starting to come along. And I think it shows by that vote right there. And I think people now view him as a franchise, I don't know if you want to say icon, but a franchise pillar along with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, and probably the guy that if Goldie's not re-signed this offseason or after the contract is up next year, is the guy that slides into that spot as being the second face of the franchise. I remember talking to the Phillies insider that we talked to two weeks ago now, I guess it would have been, uh, Scott Lauber, about Aaron Nolan. He mentioned how the guys that come in from the outside that choose Philadelphia seem to get more grace in Philly than the guys that were brought in from within, right? So like Aaron Nola doesn't have the same grace as like uh, Kyle Schwarber, and he doesn't totally understand why that is the case there. It's the opposite here. The guys that are brought up from within here in St. Louis, if they become great, are the guys that are remembered forever more fondly than anybody can that is brought in from the outside. It just It's viewed a little differently here. It's the opposite. It's in reverse of what it is in Philadelphia. For whatever reason, neither is right or wrong, but that's I think that's how it is, and Walker is the latest of those guys. And I'll never but you got to be great. Yeah. Because they'll turn on you quick yes. here if you, don't, if you don't live up to the expectations. I, I'll never forget. I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was when it was announced that Scott Rowland was going in the Hall of Fame. Me, Alex, I think Alexa Dat was in with us at the time, had Ryan Ludwig on the show. And we asked about Jordan Walker. And I remember him saying, Von, Von Lee, he is the next Cardinals Hall of Famer. And the fact of the matter that you put that kind of expectation on him along with the expectation of Rookie of the Year. And look, he's not going to win Rookie of the Year. Corbin Carroll just took off with that award. But the fact that he's 20% above league average and we're having conversations about a contract extension in September about this kid that's 21 years old 
tells you that the Cardinals got something right when they drafted and developed this kid. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He is Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. You can always watch us on YouTube, 101 ESPN STL is what you search to be able to find us over there. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll ask John Denton about this. What's he think about the possibility of Jordan Walker signing long-term in St. Louis? We'll get into that with him coming up at 1130. But next... Mizzou made a difficult but necessary decision yesterday. I'll tell you what that is and why it makes sense leading into this week's game here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We will be moving forward with Brady Cook as our quarterback and quarterback number one um, while giving Sam opportunities to grow throughout the game. Uh, It won't look the same as it did this past week as far as uh, maybe exactly equal first half and second half, but we are definitely committed to letting Sam uh, continue to get reps and improve and grow. I think he's earned that opportunity, but I also think uh, Brady Cook has earned the right to be quarterback one and and, – take the lion's share of the reps. And so that's going to be how we move, operate moving forward. That was Eli Drinkwitz yesterday at his weekly press conference announcing that there is no longer a competition at quarterback for Missouri. It is Brady Cook's job. He is going to be the starting quarterback. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes, we'll talk to John Denton of Cardinals.com about Jordan Walker and whether or not he thinks the Cardinals will or should sign him long-term. T-Bone, I think this was the right call. I also think it was the necessary decision heading into this week's game against Middle Tennessee. Now, I know you're going to push back on it, and I think that's fair. But my perspective on this is as follows. I think that this is going to be a more competitive game against Middle Tennessee than a lot of people are currently anticipating. I think this is the type of game, kind of like last year, I think it was Abilene Christian, where Missouri ended up winning by like 17 points or something like that. Yeah, it was 34 to 17 against Abilene Christian. That is not a game that you want to have that close, but sometimes that stuff happens, man. It's just a weird game, and you end up winning by 17. If you go into the second half this week against Middle Tennessee and you're up, let's call it 24 to 10, do you want to put your backup quarterback into that spot while the game is still technically hanging in the balance? The answer is no, you don't. And what we saw last week is that Missouri clearly, whether it's right or wrong, that's your own opinion, but they view it as Brady Cook is our starter. We will have Sam Horn play the second half in a meaningless game against South Dakota because we know we're going to be up by enough at halftime that it will not matter what the offense does in the second half. We will not be able to lose that game. So let's get Sam Horn some reps. We'll get him reps out there with the ones. We'll see what he looks like. And if he overwhelms, maybe we do it again against Middle Tennessee. But if he just looks okay, we're going to go ahead and cut bait. We're, we're naming our starter for week number two. I think that's what happened here. I think they're saying to themselves, hey, if we go into the second half, we're up by two scores. We cannot willingly put our backup quarterback into that spot. I think that's the correct decision, and I'm glad Eli Drinkwitz was definitive about it. He, no more second guessing. This is our guy. Announce it to your locker room. Announce it to your fans, and we're going to move forward. We will rally around Brady Cook. It may end up being the wrong decision, but I think it is the right call in terms of what the information is that they have available to them. Yeah, I, I think it's the right call because I, I think, though I don't think um, Horn got much of an opportunity in the second half, only getting to throw five passes. He didn't really learn a lot about him. Brady Cook was efficient in the offense. 
looked great in the system, and now he's got a healthy throwing shoulder, which is important for him. So I I think it's the right call to do it because I think you're right. You don't want to set yourself up if you do believe it's going to be a closer game, which I still think it should not be. But um, if you think it will be a closer close game potentially at halftime, you can't put yourself in the spot to where you do throw Sam Horn out in that scenario. Now, if you're up 28 nothing or something, then maybe you can start to have those conversations in the game. But I think you're right. I think he's doing the right decision just to kind of set themselves up as, hey, this is our quarterback. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brady Cook got voted as a offensive correct. captain. So His I teammates think, love him, I think dude. the locker room already kind of said, hey, we want Brady Cook to be our QB. And I think Mizzou kind of knew that going into week one. That's why, like, I don't think there should oh, have been. they definitely a, knew it. Yeah, there should not have been a or on that depth chart for week one for Sam Horn because they didn't let him run any really part of the offense. They basically just ran out the clock with Sam Horn at QB, and he attempted five passes. That that doesn't signal that you're truly competing for QB one. So six, uh, or excuse me, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service tax line. We got this from the six three six. What Stalter said yesterday on the fast lane was 100% accurate. How can you honestly evaluate any quarterback when 90% of the passes are screens? If that's the offense, they are a five or a six win team. All right. So I will do what Stalter did yesterday. I was listening to this at home. Uh, I was hanging out with baby boy. We watched, we were watching on YouTube. We had the fast lane going and Stalter said, can we have an honest conversation about Missouri football? And they reiterated, can we have an honest conversation about Mizzou football? He thinks that we baby Mizzou football around here. And then he went on to say how the offense is a Mickey Mouse offense and they're running all these screens and slants and hitches and there's nothing real about it, right? It's, it's, a, it's an offense that doesn't work in the SEC. Have you watched like 90%, not, not Stalter, Stalter has, he's pretty smart about football, but <laughs> have most people watched like 90% of football teams, SEC or otherwise? They're all running this stuff, man. It's all a bunch of bubbles and slants and RPOs. This is what college football is now. You don't have to like it. I'm not saying you should, but it makes it easy for the quarterback. It puts the ball in your playmaker's hands as quickly as possible and in space, and you hope that they can rack up the yards after catch. If you think back to the Mizzou offense in 2007, and the same thing was true for 2013, honestly, it was a bunch of dink and dunk. Chase Daniel made a living by making quick decisions, finding out pre-snap what the defense was going to be doing, and getting the ball to his playmaker's hands as quickly as possible. Yeah, there were shot plays, of course. Mizzou had a shot play on Saturday. Brady Cook, the best pass I've seen him throw in a Mizzou uniform, was a shot play up the middle of the uh, up the middle of the field, a post route to Makai Miller. You need that stuff, and I think as you go up against better teams, for example, K State. You're going to see a lot more of that. But when you're going up against South Dakota and they're running a bunch of too high, the best thing you can do is run the football and dink and dunk underneath. Take what the defense is giving you. Don't make stupid mistakes that can get this game into like real contention late against South Dakota. I had no issues with the offense on, on Thursday night. If that's what it looks like again on Saturday, September 16th against Kansas State and what has just been announced as a sold-out game at Mizzou, first time in four years that the Tigers have sold yeah. out a football M-I-Z. game. Let's go! If it looks like that against them and it ends up being a problem, sure, we can have that conversation. But for now, I had no issues with their offense against yeah. South Dakota. I, I said this last week when we talked about the game on Friday. Like You shouldn't read anything to what uh, Kirby Moore's offense looked like in that game because that was such a vanilla playbook. That was just simple as, hey, we don't want to show anything for 
potentially Middle Tennessee for those that think it's going to be close. We don't want to show anything for K-State. We don't want to show anything to our SEC opponents yet. That playbook is going to expand a lot more and move away from just that. That was like essentially in the NFL when they you watch a preseason game. They're not calling their offensive playbook. They're doing just basically the generic plays. They're basically calling the Madden plays. And, and Illinois did the exact same thing. In fact, I think they were a little too vanilla in their playbook on Saturday. They ran a bunch of RPOs. They, they ran the football way too much. And they had one, two handful of shot plays. But most of it was they want to get the ball out of Altmyer's hands quickly. And I think Altmyer's got a potentially higher ceiling than Brady Cook because I think he does have a arm that can get the ball down the field. I think Brady Cook's just like Tommy DeVito. And all season long, I can tell you, what did Illinois do? They ran the football with Chase Brown, and they basically said, Tommy, we're going to run like one quick slant, or we're going to run a screen. Don't yep. take the shot play. Do not take the shot play. And that's what they did all year, and they went, ended up winning eight games. Now, yep. Grant, that was the Big Ten. This is the SEC. We'll see how that translates. But I think I, it'll be fine, because the SEC's not good this year, as yeah, we've talked about. Yeah, the pack, if they were in the Pac-12. Yeah, woo! imagine. Alongside T-Bone and Grant, I'm BK. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. We'll have some questions for John Denton of Cardinals.com next here on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend and Cardinals insider for MLB.com. He's John Denton alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis. I am Brandon Kylie. Fun game last night down in Atlanta as Jordan Walker made his return down to his hometown of Atlanta, put on a show for his family and friends down there. John Denton was in attendance to be able to watch that one. John, we appreciate the time as always, man. Let's start there. What'd you think of Jordan Walker putting on that show last night? Yeah, BK, I'm a sucker for those, uh, you know, dad, uh, dad getting to watch his son do something special. And, you know, his dad, Derek, was there. His mother, Katrina, grandmother, Normarine, was there. Uh, you know, they had like 25, 30 people. Derek's phone died in the middle of the game because so many people in the stands texting him, people at home texting him after every every hit the Jordan guy. Uh, you know, it, it was, man, that, that that's the way you come home. You know, a lot of times you see these homecomings, they go poorly because the kid is worried about tickets and he's worried about nerves and he's playing on the field that he wanted to play on when he was growing up. Jordan Walker came in here and, you know, his dad said, he said, man, I want to cut him open and see how he bleeds because that looks like he's cold as ice in, in his veins. Uh, you know, he comes back here and doubles in his first at bat, drives in a run. Then he hits the ball 413 feet for a home run, uh, has a single up the middle, three hit night. Uh, you know, that's just, it shows you the progress that this kid is making, and he, he's going to be a star for the next 12 years in right field for the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, John, you said that a star in right field for the Cardinals for the next handful of years. We were just talking about this at the start of our show. Do you think it's possible that the St. Louis Cardinals will explore contract extension talks with Jordan Walker this offseason? You know, you know the, uh, tenor, the, the great teams have done that. I mean, you go all the way back to the Cleveland Indians back in the, what, 95, 97, wherever, whatever it was. 
they signed up all their young guys early. You know, they 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 spotted guys that they knew were going to be fixtures of the organization for a long time. Look at this Braves team. Alex Anthopoulos uh, with the Braves is, is a is a baseball genius. Uh, he's locked up Acuna. He's locked up Albies. He's locked up Austin Riley. Uh, you know, all their key pieces are in place. It would make sense to do that. Now, you know, can you get a hometown discount? Can you, you know, a lot of times you give the kid the money, the security that, that he doesn't have right now uh, in exchange for, you know, maybe a smaller deal. Uh, I think it would be wise to do that with Jordan Walker. I think it would be wise to do that with Nolan Gorman. Uh, you know, the, this team knows that they have big needs to fill this offseason. They've got to work on their pitching staff first, their starting staff, and their relievers. And then after that, that's when you maybe look at trying to lock up some of these pieces because, you know, for the next 10, 12 years, I mean, I joked with Ali Marmol last night. You know, you can almost write it in pencil. Nolan Gorman, Lars Newbar, and Jordan Walker are going to be the heart of your lineup going forward for the next 10 years. Uh, you need to maybe look at, at locking those guys up now if you can. So we mentioned earlier the comparisons are Corbin Carroll. He signed an eight-year deal worth $111 million whenever he was first brought up, and that was almost immediate. So that that wasn't even with a year of experience showing what he could do at the major league level. Julio Rodriguez is probably the better comparison. He got a seven-year deal worth $120 million. If I told you right now, John, that the Cardinals approach him with something around that seven to eight years and right around $120 million, you you know Jordan Walker and his family probably better than most. Do you think that is something, just based on your conversations, your understanding of the family dynamic, do you think that's something that Walker would be open to? Yeah, you know, this is a – BK, this family is intelligent off the charts, you know, and they're they're not driven by money. But, you know, uh, the, the father went to MIT. The mother went to Harvard and Washington University. Uh, Jordan was on his way to Duke with a full scholarship. They value education, but when he got drafted by the Cardinals, they said, uh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so they went into baseball. If you put $120 million in front of them now, you know, I, I think they would be wise to do that. I mean, injuries happen in, in this game. Things happen. Uh, I think they would be blown away by that. I think they would be interested in that. And, you know, I, I've, been, I've been consistent on this, PK. I, I think all the way back to February, this kid is going to be the right fielder for the next 10, 12 years in St. Louis. He's going to be the center of this organization. He's going to be the player they build around. Put Nolan Gorman with him and, you know, that, and, and Lars Newbar, that's a, that's a nice core going forward. And, you know, I think the Cardinals would be wise to look to lock him up for long term. John, you mentioned earlier Cardinals going to have to address pitching in the offseason, both with the starters and in the bullpen. A conversation we had yesterday, the way Zach Thompson has been pitching, do you, could you see a scenario in which the Cardinals say, let's go into next year with Thompson as a number five, and then maybe that third starter that they add is a guy that's like a bounce-back candidate, BK likes Tyler Malley or Herman Marquez as that guy potentially? I thought BK like Rich Hill. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. Get out of here, John. You know I like upside. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, I totally think uh I totally think that Zach could be that guy. You know, I mean, his talent is undeniable. He he's a first round pick for a reason. Uh if you put all those guys into a hat, uh Libertor, Dakota Hudson, Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson's the guy with the most with the best stuff. He's the guy with the most talent. He's the guy with the most upside. Uh, you know, of all the games he's watched of Adam Wainwright, he's watched twice as much uh, Clayton Kershaw film. He models his game after after Clayton Kershaw. He uses that three-pitch mix, fastball slider, 
uh, curveball, you know, big overhand curveball, just like Kershaw. Uh, you know, he, he has the talent. He's, he can be that guy. I think he's got the mental makeup, too. I mean, we've seen some stuff from him lately. Two starts ago, he didn't have his best stuff, but he gritted his way through five innings and, and, and found a way to get to that lineup a second and third time. So he's a guy that, that they really like. They're very intrigued by. Uh, you know, it, it's been weird. He's he struggled as a starter in the minor leagues, but he's pitched well up here. He's throwing strikes. He, he's landing his all-speed pitches. Uh, yeah, I would think he's definitely a candidate. Uh, you know, going into the all-season, having to sign two starting pitchers is a monumental task. You definitely don't want to sign three of them. So they need at least one person to emerge from that from that trio, and I think Zach is the guy. Our guest is John Denton here on 101 ESPN. You can find him on Twitter at John Denton 555. He also had a story last night recapping everything that happened, the great story that was Jordan Walker and his family taking that all in uh, yesterday down in Atlanta. So find that on cardinals.com. Uh, John, I did want to ask you a little bit as a another player that's maybe finding a new role within the Cardinals. Man, Tommy Edmond looks incredible in center field. Like he yesterday, you heard it from both Ollie Marmel and Miles Michaelis after the game saying, hey, if that guy was a center fielder, he would be a gold glover out there. I looked up some of the numbers before the show today. It's like a plus five and outs above average in center field where he's played like 200 innings so far this year. John, do you think they could enter next year with Tommy Edmond as their starting center fielder? You know, Brad, if he was if he was just adequate, you know, I think they may they may waver on that. But Tommy has been off the charts, and and Tommy even told me last week he's like, yeah, I've kind of surprised myself that I'm <laughs> I've played as well out there as I have. But you know, go back to instincts, go back to baseball IQ. There's nobody on this planet that you would want ahead of uh, Tommy Edmond in that case. I mean, he gets a good jump every time. He has closing speed. He never takes a misstep. He's so intelligent. Uh, you know, he's just one of those guys. It doesn't matter where you put him. He's going to be a gold glove. He could be a gold glove shortstop. He could be a gold glove center fielder. He's already been a gold glove second baseman. His intelligence is off the smart, off the charts. His smarts are off the charts. Uh, you know, I really think he could be their center fielder going forward. Like I said, if he was just adequate, maybe they think about moving him back to shortstop. But he's been unreal in center field. He's made every catch whether it's going back or coming forward, uh, you know, Miles, he probably kept Miles Michaelis in that game last night. He probably saved four or five runs for Miles Michaelis last night. So I think he's absolutely opened their eyes to the to the thought of, of being their center fielder going forward. Well, John, another outfielder for the Cardinals, Tyler O'Neill. He They didn't trade him at the deadline. It kind of felt one of those where it was, hey, we're keeping him here this year so we can – kind of run him out as like a trial run again so we can try and recoup some value for him to potentially move him in the offseason. What is the plan if there is not a suitor for him in the offseason again? Is he someone that could become a non-tender candidate for the St. Louis Cardinals? Uh, Tanner, I would say there's a 0.00% chance of of him being a non-tender. One, he's a Scott Boris client, and you don't ever want to get on Scott Boris's wrong side because of the stable of talent that he has and the, the power he has in the game. And two, if they did that, there would be 29 other teams ready to offer Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill has the potential that, that everybody loves. I mean, he has the rare combination of speed and power and defense, and he's won two goal gloves. And, you know, everybody is drunk on the thought of, man, what can this guy be if he's healthy? You know, the Cardinals have lived that life for, for several years, years now, and, you know, they're, they're just not they're not going to not tender him. 
Uh, I, I think they want Tyler O'Neill to be their left fielder going forward. They, you know, they want to be able to depend on him. Um, and, and he's, he's, he's got to show that he can be healthy the rest of the season. Um, but then again, on, on the flip side, they know they need pitching. Um, if they can, if they can get another team interested in Tyler that would bring back starting pitching, I think they would do that in a heartbeat. But if they can't, they want him to be their left fielder because he plays a better left field than just about anybody in baseball. And, you know, one of these days he's going to be healthy again and he's going to hit 34 home runs like he did in, in 2021. I can't wait for him to do that for the Royals. They, they can't do that, John. They, 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 they cannot do that again next year. We, we can't live this yeah. life of Tyler O'Neill's going to play whenever he feels comfortable enough to play, yeah. and he's going to Ollie before the game. He's like, hey, my, my knee just, you know, the, the surface isn't right for me. I, I understand it. The, the talent is there. I was the guy that, after his big season in 2021, said, hey, they should lock this guy up to a contract extension because imagine what he'll get if he continues playing this way. I, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> I, I can't do that again next year. Not not with this team and with the stable of position players that they have ready for them. I, I get it. I get it, VK. I mean, last night when, when Tyler belly flopped into second, oh. you know, his basically dug into the mud. His left arm got bent up under him. And my first thought was, oh, my goodness, he's hurt, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it, you, you wondered. I mean, first off, it was nasty. And Tyler was. Tyler was mad after the game because the field was like so watered down that it was mud out there. Of course, uh, but, but I, I, I get it. You know, he he's got to stay healthy. He's got to prove that he can stay healthy. And you know, like I said, if they can flip him for pitching, they, I think they'll do that in a heartbeat. But if they can't, they're not just going to give him away for nothing. Interesting. Hey, John, we appreciate the time as always, man. You have great insight on this team. It was a great piece earlier today over at Cardinals.com on Jordan Walker and his family affair that he had down there. Uh, Just a show that he was able to put on. So we look forward to talking with you again soon. Enjoy your time down there watching the best team in baseball, my friend. Sounds great. Take care, guys. Thanks. Got it. That's John Denton joining us as he does regularly here on BK and Ferrario. They they can't go into next year with Tyler O'Neill as their left fielder. They they cannot do that. That would be a failure of an offseason. Like, they could do everything else that we're asking for, and they bring back Tyler O'Neill as the starting left fielder next year, and that is a disappointing way to go about this offseason. I, I can't do this again, man. No. I, I can't either. I, of course, I, by the way, of course he was complaining last night about the field conditions. Of yeah, course. That's why he Nobody talks about the field conditions more than Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, he's totally out of the lineup today. Bet money on that if you could. No, he's um, going to be in the lineup and then get scratched. Also, no, at some point, you got to decide on your outfielders. Yeah, it, that's what I was just about to say is I don't understand how you could go back into the year because if you do think Edmund is your center fielder because he is, like you said, four or five outs above average and 200 innings in center field, well, I would like to keep Newpar in the lineup. And I I just can't see running back Tyler O'Neill. I understand the defense. I understand sure. the potential of it. But at some point, I have to say, it, it is better for us not to have him on the team because it is not a good thing for us to have a guy in the locker room that dictates when he can play and is unwilling to play through anything that might be sore. So It reminds me of the Dodgers moving on this offseason from Cody Bellinger. At some point, you can't live off of what a player was three years ago anymore. Yeah, Cody Bellinger was a really good player a few years ago, MVP caliber player. And then he got hurt, and he was no longer the same player. And the Dodgers said, you know what? We got to move on. We know this guy is very likely to find it somewhere, whether it's this season with the Cubs as he has, or if it was going to be a year or two from now, they, they probably knew internally hit the chances are this is going to look bad down the line, but we have to find some more certainty. So they went out and they found other guys that they thought could capably fill what his role was. And they got like three players for the price of Cody Bellinger. 
And the Cubs have to be thrilled with what they've got this year out of Cody Bellinger. So it ended up working out for everybody involved. I think the same may be true for the Cardinals with this Tyler O'Neill situation. You put Tommy Edmond in center field. You play Jordan Walker in right. You put Lars Newbar in left. You'll have Brendan Donovan, who's going to play in the outfield a decent amount as well. Alec Burleson, if he's still here, will probably filter into this mix too. It's it's time. It is, frankly, past time to make the decision on Tyler O'Neill and to move on from him. And that, to me, may mean non-tendering him. I don't know if there's going to be as much interest in Tyler O'Neill around the league as some would like to believe. I, I think it'd be great if there was. Go get yourself a nice little reliever from Tyler O'Neill. Extract some value there. But if you don't think it's going to be there and he's going to cost you $7.5 million to be this player, same player that he is this year, that's not worth it. You can go get some, You can go get yourself a nice reliever with that $7.5 million instead of bringing back Tyler O'Neill. All right, for T-Bone and Grant, I'm BK. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers. Alongside T-Bone and Grant, I'm BK. This one comes from the 314. Guys, it seems like one of Donovan, Edmund, Gorman, one of those three will be gone after this year if we truly want to land a pitcher that we're looking for. Which one of those three would you be most comfortable letting go? Let's use this disclaimer. It always comes down to what's available to you. You are going to be able to get more by trading Gorman than you would be. Like, I think the order of trade value goes Gorman one, Donovan two, Edmund three. That's because of control. It's because of injury status with Donovan and versatility, ability, Homer power, all that stuff. Um, which would I be most comfortable moving on from? As much as it's been really fun to watch him in center field, I would say Tommy Edmond. Those lefty bats, just they change what you can do as a lineup, especially once you get into the postseason. Yeah, I would agree. I think Edmond's the one that I would be most willing to move on from, partly because I'm not sold that he should be the center fielder of the future because of his arm. Um, but you can you can go New Barn center. You can put Burleson or Donovan in left. So you kind of have that trickle down effect that doesn't really affect you i i would listen on donovan but i think he's your starting left fielder going into next year i i don't want to trade gorman unless i'm getting like logan gilbert or one of the top like lazardo from the marlins like i'm not moving gorman for anything that's not viewed as like a number two because he's got 40 home run power uh 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line guys i know it's very early but if you had to place a heisman bet today who would you place it on consider take into account what the odds are so we were talking about this a little bit before the show today t-bone i think this has a chance to be an all-time great heisman year and the reason why i say that is because There are so many excellent quarterbacks at noteworthy programs this year that it's going to make for a really fun race because it's always, let's be honest, a quarterback award. Occasionally, you'll get a running back that gets in there. Once we saw a wide receiver recently get into the mix. But more often than not, we're talking about quarterbacks kind of like the MVP in the NFL. And this year, you look up and down the leaderboard. Caleb Williams, Jordan Travis, Michael Penix Jr., J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, Quinn Ewers, uh, Sam Hartman, Drake May, Dylan Gabriel, Jaden Daniels, KJ. 
Dude, it keeps going on and on. Shador Sanders is 60 to 1 right now to win the Heisman after what I thought was the most impressive performance that I saw this week. You loved what you saw from DJ Uyunglele. He's at 80 to 1 to yeah. win the Heisman Trophy this year. So, um, if I had to place a bet on any individual player right now, I think because of the odds that you can currently get, I would probably go Sam Hartman at 20 to one kind of like those odds for him. Yeah. I like that one on Sam Hartman Um, outside of him. Like I do like that one. I, I really like Michael Penix. I know he's not as high of odds, but plus eight fifty. They've got arguably the best or the second best wide receiver group in college football. He looked great last week and like think of the people that he's going to have to beat and have to perform well against. Can he beat uh, USC? Can he beat Oregon? Can he beat the Pac-12, as we've talked about, the best conference in college football? Michael Penix puts up great numbers like I expect he's going to. If he can get them to the college football playoff or to the Pac-12 championship game and play really well to get to that point, I think he's a guy that could be a sleeper for the Heisman Trophy. I still think Caleb Williams is the chalk answer because I think he's going to end up winning it, but... I wouldn't be shocked if Michael Penix gives him a run for his money. Yeah, it's going to be hard to beat out Caleb Williams, but I do like looking at Shador Sanders because if he's able to do that against a team that was ranked 17th coming into the season, what is he going to be able to, I mean, 510 yards against TCU this past weekend. Yeah, 60 What's, to one. It's worth a shot. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't put much on it. Obviously I would actually go with his teammate. If I'm going to yeah. bet on a long, long shot bet from their team, Going with the guy that's doing something we haven't seen since, like Deion Sanders. That's a good point. It's a pretty good one. At 50 to 1 odds, Travis Hunter. I would probably go with Travis Hunter over Shador Sanders, just because I think people view it as such a unique thing to be able to play both ways. If he's going to have like 100 plays a game, that's going to speak to Heisman voters. If he's able to sustain success for longer, it's going to be easier for him to draw votes more than other players, I would say, just because of that two-way play. Like, that, there's hardly any other players that really do that at that level. So it's going to be easier for her for, for him to draw votes if he's able to play that at a high level. But again, Caleb Williams, it's just going to be so hard to reach his level. So somebody on the text line makes a fair point. Guys, when you mention these names, who are the schools that they're going to? I just don't, I'm not familiar. So Caleb Williams is the USC quarterback. He's very likely going to be the number one overall pick next year and next year's draft Sam Hartman who I would place my bet on at 20 to 1 he's the new Notre Dame quarterback he was previously at Wake Forest holds the all-time record for ACC touchdown passes and then the two guys that we mentioned Shador Sanders and um who was the other one that we Travis Hunter, Hunter. both go to Colorado they're yeah. they're the stars that followed Deion Sanders from Jackson State to Colorado and both showed out in a big way this week and so Michael those are the Penix ones that we Washington yeah. University Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll stick with the football theme. Some NFL quick hitters, including the most likely quarterback this year to take what I'm going to call the Jared Goff leap of going from a guy that is just a guy to somebody that you actually kind of believe in. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, there's one player that I think is completely changing his outlook for 2024. I'll tell you who that is for the Cardinals next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Smoke towards center and been going back, still going up against the wall. He makes the grab. In the air, right center. Will it hang up for Tommy? He's going to dive and get there, and that will retire the side. 
great defensive plays for Tommy Emmett in the second. That could turn things early. Uh, the two catches he made, the one against the wall and the one coming in, same inning. You put Tommy in center every day, he wins a gold glove. I mean, he's a really, really good defender. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest, that voice you heard that was coming through a can, that was Ollie Marmol. Good to hear his thoughts on Tommy Edmond last night defensively. They should get a... They, Atlanta, that's a new stadium. They shouldn't have him doing his post game from the bathroom. It was impressive. It was yeah. it was quite the setup that they had for him last night. So Tommy Edmond has been a revelation in center field. T-Bone, you hate him because he doesn't have a strong arm. But everybody yeah. else seems to really enjoy watching him fly around out there. His pitcher specifically after last night's game, I thought had some interesting comments on Tommy Edmond as a center fielder. He's won, you know, gold glove, second base. Um, but he might be one of the better center fielders I've ever seen. Um, I mean, he made some incredible plays today. I think um, he tracks a fly ball as as well as anyone that I've ever seen. Um, what he does around the domino defense is really special. I agree with Miles Michaelis. The way that he tracks the ball in the outfield is genuinely amazing. Like, I understand that this guy has one of the worst arms of anybody that's playing in the outfield in Major League Baseball. We have to concede that argument because, T-Bone, you're right. His arm is a problem for you when he's playing in the outfield. But I think he saves so many runs. He makes so many extra outs by getting to balls that other outfielders do not that I'm actually willing to deal with the lack of arm strength from Tommy Edmond. If you go over to Baseball Savant, so the Major League Baseball, they've got all their tracking systems, right? So now they are tracking what the estimated success rate should be from an outfielder. So basically, how often should this guy get to a ball? And how often does he actually get there? And based upon what they actually do versus what they expected to do, you can kind of look at, okay, who are the best outfielders right now on a rate basis as opposed to just like the outs above average, which is volume. It's like adding up hits versus batting average, right? Based on the success rate added this year, Tommy Edmond has been the second best center fielder in all of Major League Baseball. The second best center fielder in the sport. The only one that has been better is Dalton Varsho. Guys that are slightly behind him on the season, you may recognize these names. Harrison Bader is one. Kevin Kiermeyer is another. Jose Siri is another. Trent Grisham, Luis Robert, Julio Rodriguez. I mean, we're talking about a who's who of outfielders here. T-Bone, I think if they wanted to going into next year, they could make Tommy Edmond their starting center fielder, and you would basically see what we saw with Harrison Bader out there defensively. How would you feel about the Cardinals going into the offseason and Mo saying in his end-of-season press conference, we are going to have Tommy Edmond as our starting center fielder in 2024, and we're going to build our outfield around him. So I, I still would prefer to find an upgrade in center because, one, Tommy Edmond is not a great offensive player, and, two, the arm is still a major concern for me, even though you just comped him to Harrison Bader. Bader at least had the cannon and the range, which is what made him an elite defender. I don't necessarily mind it, though, if they do end up going this route because – He's a stopgap. He's not the long-term answer in center field. The long-term answer in center is more than likely Victor Scott. And my expectation would be that by 2025, Tommy Edmonds not the center fielder. So if it's just one year, we think we can get away with not having an arm in center field, and we think he makes up for it with his outs above average and his range out there in center field, I would understand the Cardinals' route of going that way. And this also just kind of ties to the fact that 
I know they can't spend on everything to go get everything that they need. I would still have center fielder on the need list this offseason. I would explore the idea of bringing back a Bader or bringing in a Kevin Kiermaier. Problem is, is the money that they have to allocate towards starting pitching into the bullpen, they're probably not going to have anything left over to put at center field. So I don't mind going into the year with Tommy Edmond in center field. I do think the arm is more certainty than either of those two guys that you just mentioned because of the injury questions. I think he's basically the same hitter and he's more consistent of being on the field than either Bader or Kevin Kiermaier. I guess that's fair. Yes. Um, But again, to me, like the arm would be a difference maker for when those guys are on the field. Um, They are elite defensively because they have 60 games. They have the range and the arm. I'm thinking a hundred, but you know, I mean, I can't expect Bader to play a hundred games next year. I, at I, this point. I, but again, but I would much rather go into the year in terms of saying, okay, I've got Bader or Kiermaier that's starting, whether you want to call it 60 or 100 games in center field. And then Tommy Edmond is the, I said this a couple of weeks back, I don't mind Tommy Edmond as being kind of like the backup center fielder, the emergency center fielder. That's the way I would prefer it to be. But I also understand the idea of, hey, the we can't go out there. Point. We can't go out there and we can't spend on a center fielder a bullpen arm or two, and go out there and sign three starting pitchers. We're not the New York Mets. Steve Cohen's not the owner here in St. Louis. They can't spend on everything that they need to accomplish. So I understand going into the year with him in center field. I still would much rather prefer they had a a different center field, whether you want to go Newpar that's out there, and then put someone else in the corner like Donovan or Burleson, or go out and sign a center fielder and then have Edmund as the backup. I think the best role for Tommy Edmund is the super utility guy that comes off the bench that can play shortstop when win either needs a day off or if he struggles, can go to second base when Gorman needs a day off, can go out to center field in a late-game situation as a defensive sub potentially, or a guy that can start there if you need it in an emergency case. So I've got a scenario that I think they could go with next year, and I don't think Cardinals fans are going to love it. I think you could platoon that spot. I think what you could do is Tommy Edmond starts every single game in center field in which you play against a left-handed pitcher. Every time you're going up against a lefty, Edmund is my center fielder. And when he's in center, I've got Jordan Walker in right, and I've got Lars Newpar in left, and I think I've got a pretty good outfield defensively now. When there is a righty on the mound, that's when I think you could go Lars Newpar in center, Brendan Donovan in left, you've got Nolan Gorman at second, and probably you're going to have on those days Alec Burleson as your DH. And I think that's just the way that you go about it. And you've got all of your left-handed bats in the lineup. And then if you end up having a righty come in, or excuse me, a lefty come into the game later on, we can put Tommy Edmond into that spot. He ends up pitch hitting. He goes out to there to center field and you move things around accordingly. But I think that's probably the best case scenario on how they go about this. But I do think Tommy Edmond is a guy that has now displaced for me Dylan Carlson. I don't know what Dylan Carlson's role is for this team. Because Tommy Edmond is just a better defender than Dylan Carlson. They're basically the same hitters, and I can count on Tommy Edmond to be on the field more than I can count on Dylan Carlson. So I think the problem is other teams see that too. So they see, hey, Tommy Edmond's the guy that probably has more value because we can play him in center, we can play him at short, we can play him at second. And he's been pretty good. He's a great defender in any of these spots. Uh, we we just want to have him on our roster. He's got two more years of club control. He's not expensive. What are you getting out of Dylan Carlson next year? I don't know what the answer is. So the Cardinals are, are stuck between that rock and a hard place of we've got a guy that we think fits our team better in Tommy Edmond because he can also back up Mason Wynn if anything were to happen there, either struggles or gets injured. So we've got the backup shortstop still on the roster, and he can play center field. But Dylan Carlson has no trade value. 
Yeah. So I don't know how they handle that, but I think that's one of the biggest decisions that they have to make this offseason is how do we view Edmund versus Carlson? Because I do think the two are kind of pitted against one another for a roster spot. And I, I said this, it's probably been a couple weeks, and I think we ran through the scenario of, okay, what happens if you don't extract more value from Carlson or O'Neal in this run? And, of course, Carlson hasn't really played much because he's been dealing with injuries, and O'Neal's been good when he's been able to play so far. I think at some point the Cardinals just have to say, you know what, we messed this up. We have to sell low on O'Neal. We have to sell low on Carlson. If you don't want a non-tender O'Neal, then you have to sell low on O'Neal. You have to sell low on Carlson if you say, you know what, how does he fit into this team? Or do we really want to carry him as like the fifth outfielder when Edmund can be viewed as either the platoon or the fourth outfielder and you got Burleson that's there too? Like, I think at some point they just have to come to the conclusion of, okay, it is better for us to sell low on a Carlson slash O'Neal so we feel better about not having a roster crunch that's there. You're not going to be able to sell high on everybody all the time. And I think that's something that the Cardinals front office is just going to have to say, we messed this one up, we've got to bite the bullet, and we've got to kind of clear up this log jam and move those two pieces. And we talked about it, I don't want to rehash it too much, but this is one of the reasons why I said I don't know that I would tender Tyler O'Neill. I would consider just cutting bait and saying, hey, that's $6 million that I have currently kind of earmarked for Tyler O'Neill this offseason because he's making 5 mil right now. He's going to have to get a little bit of a raise in arbitration. I, I would rather have that available to me at the beginning of the offseason to go get the reliever that I'm looking for. And Dylan Carlson, while I'm going to get, I know, basically nothing for him, I don't have a role for him on this team. Tyler o, or Tommy Edmond has outplayed him in center fields. I like having Alec Burleson as a left-handed bat that's available to me. I've got Brendan Donovan who can play in the outfield. At some point, I don't really have a place for this guy. So are you optioning him next year? I, I don't think so. I can't imagine that's a good use of that resource. I think that you've got to try to get, extract the most value possible for D- Dylan Carlson, and that might mean selling really low on him. I mean really low. And that sucks, and you don't really want to do that, and maybe he goes on to thrive elsewhere. But if you've got Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan and Lars Newbar and Jordan Walker in the outfield, you're saying to yourself, hey, man, I'm, I'm pretty good here. This isn't similar to the Randy Rosarena situation where you're moving on from a guy and then you're immediately looking for production in the outfield. If you move on from Dylan Carlson, the odds are you're going to get similar or better production from the current guys that you have in the outfield to whatever it is that he's going to do elsewhere. Yeah, and I think with Carlson, like you said, sell low, that might be where you look to upgrade the bullpen. And maybe okay, it's, absolutely and, think and it, is. it may not even be like a surefied, like, hey, this guy was a middle reliever for a team last year. It could be, hey, this is a triple A arm that we think can come up and be on the roster this year. Is he like your, can you get a, I'm going to say his name, we haven't really seen him, but can you get like a Zuniga or a Wilking Rodriguez type of pitcher in in exchange for a Dylan Carlson? Like that's where they're probably going to have to be, unlike where we were talking at the deadline where it is, hey, can you get that cost control starter for him? I think that's out the window now. He's, he's not healthy. Agreed. He may need surgery on the ankle. We don't know yet. So you're probably going to have to just settle and go, okay, we'll just take a bullpen arm. And that may be all it is. Is this just a bullpen arm swap for Dylan Carlson? I want certainty on the 2024 Cardinals. I know it's hard to find certainty in baseball because the first time that you start laying plans, you're like, oh, we got hurt, and now there's no certainty available. But I'm talking about when the player plays, you know what to expect out of him. I don't know what to expect out of Dylan Carlson. I don't know what to expect out of Tyler O'Neill. We'll get into this a little bit later on. I don't know what to expect out of Ryan Helsley right now. 
Next year, I want to have as many pieces in place that I feel pretty confident about the moment that they take the field. I know exactly what to expect out of Tommy Edmond. I feel like I kind of know what to expect at this point out of Brendan Donovan and Lars Newpar and Nolan Gorman. I've got certainty in most of these players. I'm trying to eliminate the uncertainty. And they've got a few of those guys that have played themselves out of situations next year for this team. That might mean selling low. That's how it's got to be sometimes. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including the quarterback that I think is most likely to take what I'll call the Jared Goff leap in 2023. We'll do it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK. So T-Bone, there was a piece on The Athletic earlier today asking, can Steelers Kenny Pickett shatter the expectations after the offseason to remember? Kenny Pickett is getting a lot of buzz around the NFL right now. He's got a bunch of weapons that everybody seems to like in fantasy football. He's got a defense that could be the best in the league this year. And I thought he was really good down the stretch last season. If there was somebody for me that could be placed into the Jared Goff leap candidates. And what I mean by that is last year, I think Jared Goff went from being just a guy like a Ryan Tannehill level quarterback to somebody that people believe could actually win something meaningful with Detroit. Now, like we look at the Detroit offense. I know you guys did yesterday and you said, I could be the best offense in the NFL this year. Jared Goff's a big part of that. I just want to point out, as a Rams fan, can't confirm he cannot get you to he can get you to the promised land. He ain't winning your squad. So Jared Goff is seen in a different light now than he was prior to last season. I think the leading candidate to be that quarterback in 2023 is Kenny Pickett. T-Bone, who would your candidate for that be? Do you have a different one? So I do like the Kenny Pickett one because I am high on Kenny Pickett. I think he is the franchise guy moving forward for the next five plus years in Pittsburgh. Um, the other guy I would throw into this conversation and you think I've been high on the Detroit Lions offense, you know, I've been high on Justin Fields. Yeah. I think Fields could take that step. I think he's going to continue to improve as a passer. He's going to have his leg. Now what golf never had was he couldn't run uh, like Justin Fields can. So I think he can even maybe be beyond this golf step that we're talking about. But I think there's a legitimate chance that by the end of this season, either the Bears barely miss the playoffs or they kind of back their way in because the NFC stinks. And we look at Justin Fields and go, holy crap, that guy, that is maybe Jalen Hurts 2.0. And just another great offseason away by the Bears. And we're talking about a team that's going to be up there at the top of the NFC. And I think Hurts is a big, or excuse me, I think Fields is a big part of that. I don't disagree with you, but I would say that Justin Fields is sort of already there after last season. Oh, you think? Yeah, I think a lot of people look at him as sort of the next elite quarterback. I think they view that way in fantasy. I don't know that people view him that way in real life. Sure, but I also think that has a lot to do with what surrounds him. Uh, Maybe. Here's how I view Justin Fields. I view Justin Fields as a blank slate right now. I don't know what he's going to be. I think you could go either. He he could end up being the next Jalen Hurts, or he could end up being the guy that we look at in two years, really, and say, uh, Bears need to upgrade. They they need to get a new quarterback because this guy just 
he can't do it from a passing perspective. I think he's one of the most talented runners at the quarterback position I've ever seen in the NFL. Like, you can put him on. He's not quite Michael Vick. Michael Vick was a different level. I think he's in that next tier, that second tier. So I, I think he could either be like Daniel Jones or Jalen Hurts. That's a good one because I think this is the year you find out yeah. because he's got the weapons. It's year three for him, if I'm not mistaken. This is the time. This is the time in which you go, okay, we've either got a version of Jalen Hurts or we have Daniel Jones. And then they may even look back and go, man, we probably should take it to quarterback this past year. I've got two other candidates for you for this making the leap. My other one was Jordan Love, if that's one of yours. Ooh, I like that one a lot. The only problem with Jordan Love is he has nothing around him. There's too much loving going on because I am not in on Jordan Love. I think they're winning that division. Um, <laughs> Tua Tungavailoa, I think, could be put, put into this category. His only issue is he got hurt. Last year, if you look at what he did numbers-wise, 25 touchdowns and 8 interceptions in 13 games. Wasn't he in the MVP good. conversation for a yeah. little while before yeah. he got hurt? He's the guy that I think's already done that leap because okay. of what happened last year. I'd agree with that, but too. Before the injury. Can I give you a different one? Yeah. This one, I, I don't really know what the consensus is on him anymore. I think it is kind of similar to Jared Goff where it's like, hey, your team has a ceiling if he's your quarterback. Derek Carr. I think Derek Carr could go to New Orleans this season, and if he performs at a really high level, you got Chris Olave down there. We'll see what happens with Michael Thomas. We'll see what happens with Alvin Kamara, who apparently had one leg that was two pounds heavier than the other, and they fixed that this offseason. Don't know if you saw that story. It's amazing. Um, That's a thing? Yeah. One leg was stronger than the other, and so it was part of what was like an imbalance in his body, and it's why he felt sluggish for most of last season. He said he fixed it this offseason. It's kind of like what people are doing now with the bats where they're like getting everything biomechanically designed for them. He had his body completely like transported into a new realm, basically. So, yeah, Um, I think Derek Carr is going to be better than we expect this season. I think the Saints have a better supporting cast than we think they do. Because they were stuck with Andy Dalton and Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston last well, year. we don't got to throw them all under the bus like that. I think Derek Carr is my second leading candidate to do this behind what you could potentially see from Kenny Pickett. Yeah, see, I I'm, I think Carr is what I think Goff is. Because I, I actually kind of would push back on the notion that Goff became somebody last year. Because I think he was that in L.A. The, the thing that makes Goff successful isn't Jared Goff. It's the pieces around Jared Goff. When he was in L.A. and they had pieces, they had a running game with Todd Gurley, he was great. I thought he was the franchise quarterback. Hell, the Rams fell for it, gave him a massive contract extension. But I think that's Derek Carr. I, but that's what I'm saying is I think Carr is what Jared Goff oh, okay. he's is. Already where, there. where he's already there, and he's got he's going to be successful if you believe in their weapons. But if Kamara's leg truly isn't fixed <laughs> and Michael Thomas can't stay healthy and Chris Olave doesn't continue to take the next step, Derek Carr is going to look bad. You put Derek Carr in that Lions offense, I think it's the exact same thing that you would see with Jared Goff. Okay. I like that. I think that's why it's Kenny Pickett. I think the answer is Kenny Pickett. Because I I think he's also going to be a reflection of what is around him. And this year, I think I like what is around him. They just have to replace their running back because Najee Harris isn't very good, and their better running back is Jalen Warren. All right, let's get to some divisional dogs in week number one. Did you? He had one run last year. Of 20 or more yards. What? Najee, Najee Harris. Harris. Do you know no, how hard that it, is? In his defense, it was a battle line. He ran the line. ball like 200 times. Hey, it was a battle line. Bad O-line. His backup had more than him. All right, so since 2005, this comes from John Ewing of BetMGM. Divisional underdogs in week one are about 60% against the spread, and oftentimes they win outright. 
T-Bone, here are some of the week one divisional underdogs in the NFL. I want us to go through and you tell me, would you bet on this divisional dog to win outright this week? The Browns against the Bengals at home. No. I would. Uh, The Colts plus four and a half against Jacksonville. No. I would not. Panthers plus three and a half against Atlanta on the road. I might do that one. Yes, I could see where the Panthers could beat Atlanta in their wonderful running game. You know better than that. I would not do that. Atlanta's going to be amazing this year. Uh, The Packers plus one at Chicago. No, no. Moneyline, you ready? Jordan Love? I would take that. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Packers moneyline at Chicago. Love that bet. Rams plus five and a half at Seattle. (laughs) They may not even have Cooper Cup. The Raiders plus three and a half at Denver. Do not bet on the Raiders. Never bet on teams week one or two in Denver. It's a thing. If you look back over the last decade, it's like 80%. The Broncos are covering against the spread at home because of the uh, elevation. I hear what you're saying. I would consider that one. Uh, the Raiders have stuff going on, yeah, dude. Chandler Jones fair. is MIA. Yeah, I guess that's true. He was named a captain. Just... And then today, Josh McDaniel said he's not a captain. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a lot going on there. I say, Denver I just minus trust... three and a half. Love it. I just don't trust Russ. And that's why I kind of was like, Raiders, but then now you remind me about Chandler Jones and his getting locked out of the facility. Yeah. All right, I changed my mind. Giants plus three against Dallas. No chance am I betting that. No chance. I'm staying away from that game completely. I'd agree with you there. The one that I love, Jets plus two and a half That's against the one Buffalo. I was looking at, too. Love yeah. it. Yep. That's I don't a ridiculous the Jets to win. line. The fact that all three of us are in on it, one of us should switch. I'll switch. I'll go Buffalo. My favorite on this is the Packers at the at the Bears. Shocker. But the Jets plus two and a half is a good one. And I really like the Browns plus two and a half against Cincinnati. Really? I, That's I surprising am not to me. in on the Browns at all. I don't love them, but weird stuff happens in week one, man. Every year we see it and then we, we're like, whoa, what happened there? Man, the NFL's weird. The Bengals are that's, probably going to lose like six games this year, and this absolutely could be one. That's of them. why, like, if I, because I do agree with you, weird, weird ish happens in week one. That's why I could see, like, Panthers being a team that could beat Atlanta. We go back and look at that and go, wait, how did that happen? I think the Colts could fall into that category where Jacksonville just lays an egg week one. Richardson really performs week one. Came out of nowhere. Anthony Richardson rushes for like 150 yards. We're like, whoa, this guy's an MVP candidate. Then he sucks for the rest of the way. And I agree that you should take Dallas, but I could see the Giants getting up divisional game. Dallas with just super high expectations this year laying an egg in week one that feels like jerry's world right there i'll I'll tell you what i might do with atlanta and carolina when atlanta's up by like 21 at halftime sure go ahead and bet on carolina (laughs) that's a good way to go about it as well hey coming up in about 10 minutes or so we're going to dive into the junk drawer we're also going to give away a pair of tickets to see jason aldean so tell all your friends tune in In the next 20 minutes or so, we'll give you a chance to win Jason Aldean tickets. You can't get that anywhere else here on BK and Ferrario. And if you listen to the balloon party, they'll be giving them away the next couple of days as well. But coming up next, we're getting back to baseball. Dan Plesak put out a list yesterday of the top starting pitchers in Major League Baseball. And T-Bone is big mad about it. He'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. After Otani, it's him mm-hmm. and Snell and then kind of a fall off to Marcus Stroman. Sonny Gray. If he, uh, Sonny Gray. <laughs> I'm still not sold okay. on the Sonny Gray Here's the thing about Sonny Gray. experience. 
Sunny Gray is great if two, two things are in play. Number one, if your team sucks and you have no expectations of winning. Well, then <laughs> and Randy. And number two, if you play a five-month season. Oh. Okay? But you, oh, get, you, get, you get to September and you get to the playoffs, and Sonny Gray is not going to be there for you. So if, if that's what you're into, if he, he's fine for the, the Twins because the Twins haven't won a playoff game since 2004. He'll be right. He'll be perfect in their rotation. <laughs> he's 33 he years old. He's fine with the Reds. Yeah. What happened when he went to the Yankees? He was fine with the A's where there were no expectations and no fans in the stands. What happens... So that was Randy Carricker on the opening drive talking about my guy. I am labeling him as my guy officially, Sonny Gray. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. The reason why we played that is because yesterday, T-Bone, Dan Plesek put out his list of the top 25 starting pitchers in Major League Baseball so far this season. I think the top four are pretty damn good on this list. Garrett Cole, Blake Snell, Justin Steele, Luis Castillo. You can make an argument that that is the the correct top four. I would personally have Spencer Strider up there, but neither here nor there. At number five is where this list gets very interesting, both for the Cardinals and just in general as a baseball conversation. He has Sonny Gray at number five. Now, I think if you haven't looked at Sonny Gray's numbers, I can understand the T-bone reaction there, where you just kind of, Sonny Gray. The 33-year-old that it was terrible in New York. Man, my dude has started 28 games this year with a sub-3 ERA. What's his win-loss? Not great. 7-6. and At some point, we got to start giving this guy the respect that he deserves. Since you can go back to July 22nd, in his last nine starts, he has eight quality starts. He's gone at least six innings in every single one of them. He's given up... Uh, two or fewer runs in all but two of his starts in that stretch. My dude is on a hot streak right now. And I don't know if you've looked at the calendar, but the calendar has seemingly flipped to September and he's still pitching well. T-Bone, I think there's a case to be made that Sonny Gray has legitimately been, even if you disagree with top five, like forget about the number next to his name, a top 10 pitcher in Major League Baseball this year. And this guy is a free agent at the end of this season. He's 33 years old. Probably not going to get a super long-term deal. I'm starting to think that Sonny Gray is exactly the type of pitcher that the Cardinals are going to be looking at this offseason. Swing and miss stuff, great ERA over the last five seasons. Uh, This might be a guy that profiles best as a Cardinal. Yeah, I do like Sonny Gray. I do kind of push back on the notion of being top five, but I do really like him. And I do think he should be like top what would you say, three top two in the targets for the Cardinals this offseason. I think it's fair to say it should be Nola one Gray two, and then you can put like whoever else you want there behind. I think you only get one of those guys though. I don't think you can get both Nola and Sonny Gray. I don't think they're going to spend fifty million dollars on their on two spots in their rotation. All right, Buzz Kellington, and it's two qualifying offers that you'll have to contend with. That is true, and that'll be the thing that I'll be interested to see how they view Sonny Gray with the QO attached to him because he is going to get it in Minnesota. Would be my assumption. Do they want to give up a high second round pick for him for Sonny Gray? I I don't. You would or wouldn't? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I want wants to, but I, I've put myself in a situation where I'm going to have to. I mean, the only guys in Major League Baseball among qualified pitchers that have a better ERA this season than Sonny Gray are Blake Snell, Justin Steele, and Garrett Cole. He's second in the American League in ERA. That that has to matter. At some point, I have to look at that and say to myself, man, the guy's just been awesome. And if I can add that to my rotation as a number two starter, I, I've got to consider it. Yeah, I'm on board with Sonny Gray because you're right. He's got swing and miss stuff. And you know I like to geek out at looking at baseball savants and see who his stuff based on velocity and movement it compares to. 
compares to Joe Musgrove, Merrill Kelly, Steven Strasburg. Three guys that are really good. Strasburg, good when he was healthy. Now, let's ignore the Jake Woodford one that's on there on the very side. It's the fifth most comparable pitcher to him. He's not that guy. Um, but I, I think he is the kind of guy that fits what the Cardinals are looking for. Because every time we bring up Aaron Nola's name, what do we bring up? We don't bring up, like, Ace next to his name. We bring up front-end starter, which Sonny Gray is. And we bring up a guy that, at least from the outside looking in and based on looking at his baseball reference page, says there's certainty in what you're signing. You know he's going to eat innings for you. I think the same can be said for Sonny Gray. I mean, you look at him over the last three years, he's been able to get to, he was dealing with a little bit of injuries last year in 2022 where he had 119 and two thirds. But for the most part, since 2018, he's been right around 25 starts a year. And when he is healthy, like this year, he is eating innings for you. And in in the time frame from 2018 to 2023, he's 25% above league average. That sounds like a guy that the Cardinals need in their rotation. And I think he is a guy that could be like, I think he's probably going to be second to Aaron Nola on the list of what they're going to look at when they kind of rank these free agents and how they want to target them and divide them up. He's probably number two, and I think it is because of what we're talking about. He does feel like he has some certainty to him. And I have always disagreed philosophically with the way that the Cardinals operate in this respect, but I I think when you you learn the way that they operate, it can inform how you think they're going to make decisions in an offseason. They do not like giving out long-term deals. They hate it, especially for guys over the age of 30. And to a degree, I understand it because it can get you into really bad situations. But I I think they should have done it with a guy like like Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. Those were the guys that came to mind immediately of like, hey, long-term deals, very young players, unique opportunities. It's worth it in this situation. On pitching specifically, they hate long-term deals, hate them because of how volatile pitching can be. The reason why I bring that up in regards to this offseason is because I think you're going to see Aaron Nola get like a five or a six year deal. He's 30 years old. He's going to be 31 when that starts. I think Sonny Gray is going to sign a three year deal, maybe even a two year deal where he's trying to maximize his value because he's coming off of a really excellent couple year stretch here. Would you rather have Aaron Nola at like 30 mil a year for five to six years or Sonny Gray at 25 over two? I could see how you talk yourself into Sonny Gray being the better option for you because, first of all, he's quite literally been the better pitcher over the last two seasons in terms of just the ERA and any of the underlying stuff. And if you're only having to project two years for Sonny Gray, maybe even three, or five to six for Aaron Nola, man, I could see how you talk yourself into Sonny Gray being the one that makes more sense, especially given the context of the current Cardinals rotation. We've talked about it a lot. Aaron Nola is basically Miles Michaelis plus. Got better stuff, more swing and miss, strikes more guys out. But his real value to you in your rotation is you can pencil it in. He's going to throw 200 innings for you. The Cardinals already kind of have that in Miles Michaelis. So what I'm looking for is a guy that's going to be effective within the innings that he throws. And if you're looking for that, the guy is actually Sonny Gray. He doesn't have the walk rate issues that you see with a Blake Snell. He doesn't have the innings like where he's going to throw 180 plus every year like he does with Aaron Nola, but he's kind of the best of both worlds. He's he's given you good effectiveness within the innings that he throws. He's going to get to like 160 or 170 if he throws the innings that you expect him to. He gets deeper into games than Blake Snell. He's not going to get as many years or as much money as Snell or Nola. He's kind of the midpoint of everything we've been talking about. We don't throw him into that mix with those two pitchers, but we probably should be. He probably should be up there with Nola and Snell, even though he doesn't have the same name recognition. See, I, 
So I agree with everything you said there. I do wonder if they would try and push him to a little bit longer deal, probably not five, six years, but go around three probably is right, but maybe even four. Why? Because in two years they got two other pitchers coming off the books, and they probably don't want to run into the same issue they had this year where they had three pitchers falling off the books at the same time and you kind of reset to where you were, where you have to go sign three starting pitchers because Michaelis Matt's come off the books in two years. So but maybe they that, look – Figure that out when it comes. But I also th- I think, too, it comes down to how much faith do you have in your pitching development because that's where you've been lacking, and that's why you're in this spot. Because in theory, if you can develop Tinkins or a TK Roby or uh, Gordon Graceffo, okay, well then it's okay Perfect. with having three guys that come off the books at the same time in three years. Yeah, that's one of those situ- situations where like uh, three years ago, I wouldn't have predicted the Cardinals to be in the situation they're in now. So three years from now, I have no idea what to predict. The, the guys Fair. that they signed, the, they could draft somebody at like number three overall in this year's draft that three years from now is their number one starter. I think that's fair, but I also think they would look at it and go, wait, we just did this. We don't want to potentially fall back into that hole. I think that's why, like, I think you're right on everything you said about Sonny Gray. I think they may go, try to go a little bit longer in terms of years. Just they, three to four would be what would I would say. They try not to. Like, especially with Sonny Gray, I would not want to do that. Like if you could if you could avoid the term, that's what you want to do with any of these guys. Um, I'd be more willing to give him more money up front as opposed to giving out the years to Sonny Gray or any other pitcher, frankly. Um, but I I would go the opposite route on that. I don't think it's about we need to make sure that we have this ready to go in three years. I think they'll say we need to make sure we have somebody better than Sonny Gray at the age of 38 ready to go in three or four years. Not this version of Sonny Gray, but that version of Sonny Gray. So the reason why I wanted to bring up Dan Plesak's list is because uh, stunk. T-Bone hates the fact that Spencer Strider is at number 10 on this, which is totally reasonable. Um, your your side, not Dan Plesak's side. But I also find it really interesting that he's got Sonny Gray at number five over George Kirby. Some of the Mariners pitchers that we've talked about. He's got Jordan Montgomery at number 16 on this list. And he does not have Aranola on this list at all in the top 25. Um, it's a who's who of pitchers across Major League Baseball. And I do think it can inform some of the conversations that we're having as we get closer to this offseason. Some of the free agents that are going to be available to List the Cardinals. Stinks. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Do the Cardinals have a Ryan Helsley problem going into this offseason? We'll talk about that. But next, we're going to get into the junk tour and we're going to give you an opportunity to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean. Can't beat this next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, let's dive into the junk drawer. In five minutes, we are giving you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean's concert coming up here on September 15th. So in five minutes, stay tuned. We'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean live in concert. But first, T-Bone said, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Come off as a bit of a jerk here in the next segment here in the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got? Yeah, so I kind of need some advice on what I should do next time if this situation occurs. Okay. So I, I live in an apartment complex, and there's uh, like a community laundry room. Everybody goes to do their laundry. Mm-hmm. So I went to go do laundry last night. I put it in the washer. I come back, and I look, and every dryer in the complex has clothes in it. Oh, God. Now, 
my first thought was basically the same thought of, oh, God, no, what am I'm I going to do? about what you're going to do. Well, so what happens is, is if it just gets done running, the, like, place where it says, like, it costs $1.75 to do laundry, it flashes. So, you know, it hasn't been in there long. So, like, okay, maybe someone's just getting ready to come in. But if it says the price of how much it is, that means it's been sitting there for a while. So I went to one of those. No. I took out the clothes. Oh, my God. And I, I, I sat. I didn't throw them on the floor, but I sat them in one of the bins that was there. And I just kind of sat it to the side. And I threw my laundry in. No, and I do didn't. my dryer. I did. I had it. My oh, clothes were soaking make, wet. Oh, I, I am like cringing because of what you just what said. What was I supposed to do? I don't see a problem with it. Thank what? you. No. In a I would have done the same thing. Laundromat? I didn't yes. throw it on the ground. Take your laundry out on time. Yes, that's thank how I you. look at it. How hard is it? You've got stuff going on, dude. They might have had a kid in their in their apartment Bring complex. Them with you. If that was me, if that was me, and I, I had expect more out of you. If I had my laundry I, taken this is out, embarrassing. You guys are gonna fight. I'll give you a second. No, I, thank you. Get I'm it out. Glad, Get it out. I'm glad Grant's with me on no, this one. No, if I had my laundry in the dryer and I left it there for an hour. And I came back and saw that it had been taken out and placed in a bin. Yeah. I'd be like, that's fair. Every dryer was taken. That's fair game. Like, if they were thrown on the floor, yeah, Did I'd you be irritated. It? No, I didn't no. fold it. Why would you fold somebody else's hey, clothes? That's not your job. I saw someone text in and ask that. It's not like they're not getting. It's not like I'm saving them from wrinkles. They've been letting them sit there for who knows how long. No, this is this is a jerk no. move. Man. No, I don't think it is. Like complete... I think the jerk move would have been to throw it on the ground and then put my laundry oh, in. I'd be furious. How, how long do you think it had been sitting there? I guess this is. Oh, a different it'd been approach. a while because like it didn't feel like you know, know. like it comes out of the but dryer. Everybody's got a different definition of a while. Like, are we talking thirty minutes? Are we talking an hour? Oh, are I, we talking like six hours? So I don't know how long like it, the thing flashes to tell you. Um, like, hey, this has just gotten done. My guess is it's probably like 10, 15 minutes would be how long that flashes. True. My guess has probably been in there for 30 minutes to an hour. I would say probably closer to an hour because, like, when I went in and pulled out the laundry, it wasn't, like, extremely warm. Yeah, it felt like it had been sitting there a while. But, like, what am I going to do with my clothes? You wait. No. no. This is this is part of what it is no. to have a communal no. laundry. What it, the part is, is you do your part and you set a timer on your phone and you come get the clothes. Agreed. Totally agree. Totally agree. I'm and not in the wrong. Sometimes stuff comes up and you can't just no. go down to the laundry then don't area. be mad when your laundry's not in the dryer when you Thank get back. You. Totally disagree with you. Totally disagree. As a new parent, <laughs> I am learning stuff comes up that you just, you can't account for. The baby's got stuff going on, and yes, sometimes that does take an hour. And I can't account for that, and you can account for that, and you can't account for that. 618 says, the jerk move is leaving the clothes in the dryer. Thank uh, you, 618. I mean, it's an unfortunate move, but we don't know what's going on in this person's no. life. I don't well, think anybody's hey. a jerk here. I think the jerk is whoever gets mad about it. Oh, yeah. totally disagree. And you know what? You know what happened when I got back to get my laundry? It was gone, so they didn't question anything. They didn't wait around to find me. Great. Was that laundry still there whenever you came back? No, no. That's what I'm saying. It was gone. Like someone came and got it. You could have waited 20 minutes. We don't know if it was 20 minutes. How long did it take to dry your it clothes? It takes an hour for it to dry. So it could have been the first minute after I left. It could have oh. been 30 minutes after that. It could have been 45, 50. And See, you know what happened when my phone, my phone that I set to 60 minutes when it went off, I got my car and I drove over there and got my damn laundry. Oh, dude. I, I would be... If I knew who did this, no I would send them I'm a tutorial this. of how to set an alarm on their phone. So I, I do agree with you. Like, it, 
the ideal scenario is that everybody gets their stuff out of there as quickly as humanly possible. You get your clothes into the in, into the washer. The moment that they get out, you're already there, ready to go to pull them into the the dryer. Right? How many dryers do you guys have in yours? Oh uh, gosh, there's got uh, thirty, I think. There were thirty dryers that I were think used. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were they all this person's clothes? No. <laughs> they have 30 loads of laundry that were going on? No. But like most a lot because the washers are kind of small. A lot of people like I see it happen and I'll, I'll admit I'm guilty of this. Sure. We'll do like two loads instead of doing one because it's oh, so yeah, small. That's no problem. So like I can understand that. So this probably could have been like 15 people. But come get your stuff on time, man. That's yeah. all I ask. I would That's never touch I anybody ask. else's clothes. It's not I, my stuff. I just went in. I, I just swift quickly. Again, I, I did think about it. I was like, okay. Do I do this or do I not? And I ultimately was like, I I need to get this done because I'm busy the rest of the week. I don't have time to do laundry, and I don't want to. I don't have room to dry everything at my apartment and hang it up across the place. So I'm just gonna go in. I'm, just, I'm gonna be nice. There was an open. There was an open like uh, wheel thing that you can put your clothes in and re- wheel it over to the folding table. So I'm gonna put it in Man, here. I'm gonna put it right by the dryer. I gotta say. I am in the vast minority here. Yeah. Yeah. This used to happen to me I, I all the cu- time in college. I was curious because I So I in college felt like I do think it's bad. different. College, I think it's a different setting in general. That person probably got drunk and forgot their clothes. Like I oh, think this it's person could have too. I, I know, but I think it's a very different setting in a college situation where you're at dorms or whatever. Yeah, it was like a fourteen floor tower. Yeah, that that's different. But see, like <laughs> a lot of colleges now, because I, I I kind of have an idea of this because my sister's in college and she lived on campus. They have apps that will tell you like, hey, this is this dryer. These dryers are full. This washer's full. Sure. And it will tell you, it will send you a notification on your phone. This is like, I don't know that when I go in there and start. And I didn't think twice about looking, which guess what I'm going to do from now on is look to see if there's a dryer available. I, I still, I'm still saying like, I'm not in the wrong. I did the best thing that I possibly could. And that person's in the wrong because they didn't come do their stuff on time. T-Bone, you're justified. If it is flashing, because that means it's like just been done. Like when I went and got my laundry, it is flashing. Tell me like, hey, it just got done. If that was the case, I'm not going to reach in there and pull it out. I'm not. This could have been there for an hour. Yeah, my. Oh, this could have been there since yesterday. My Now, this is also somebody on the text line said that I'm a beta male because of this. Totally fair. Probably true. Uh, I mean, definitely true. But I don't know if it's because of this specific situation. I'm just not touching people's clothes. Yeah, oh yeah, I got. I don't I want people touching my clothes. I'm not touching anybody else's clothes. I will wait until that opens up. I would probably my move there, and this probably says a lot about me being like a. I'm not trying to get into any kind of confrontation. My move there is I'm away 15 minutes. I'll come back and try to figure out if something's going on. Hopefully, at that point, something has opened up for me. Nah, I got to drive back, drive back to the. It thing. sucks. Nah, it I- also sucks to not have a washer dryer in your own yeah. unit in general. Like yeah. that's just it, it's a crappy situation and that's the way that a lot of apartment complexes are in the area because they're older and i had the same situation when i first moved out here my second apartment the number one thing that i was looking for was it has to have a washer dryer in the unit Again, i'm not doing this anymore 314 how warm were the clothes they were not that warm they'd been there a while yeah I, i'm i'm surprised but i am definitely in the minority here there, there's no doubt about it i am in the right. vast minority you're not a now, jerk T-Bone. now i'm not gonna feel bad if i gotta do it again I mean, I prefer not to. Now he's, he's gonna be doing it all the time. Now. Say, now he's gonna be like now I'm gonna stopping s- the laundry yeah. and like pulling it out, throwing it on the ground. Said it was done. It's still wet. Well, I don't know. It must be the machine's broken. 
Right, I'm glad to know I don't. No idea I that I was like going to be the person. one in the minority here, but uh, here we are. Oh, hey, this isn't like Learn something new every day. I guess it's probably a year, year and a half ago. Donnie was filling in. I brought this up. We have like cards that you buy that you put money on that goes into the sure. thing. Why? Well, walked in the laundry room one day and when i went to the dryer someone had left their card in there and it still had money on it i didn't use it i, I pulled it out and i kind of just sat it down that's fair. but i thought about it <laughs> i did have the thought donnie told me i would have been a you know what if i did use it yes, so i decided 100%. not to you would have been a complete jerk that that would have yeah. been a i think this would have been universally accepted <laughs> of you that being one, a I jerk so. in that scenario uh mine is less so all right 101 espn over the next couple of days has your chance to score a pair of tickets to see Dean's Highway Desperado Tour with special guests uh, Corey Kent, DJ Silver. It's all coming up at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. It will take place on Friday, September 15th. I think this is either already sold out or close to being sold out. So you've got a chance to win some tickets right now and over the next couple of days here on BK and Ferrario. The way you do it. Text 314-399-9646. You can also register for a chance to win at 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. But right now, if you're texter number 101 and you can tell us where Jason Aldean's first bar was located, he opened up a bar. Where was the city in which it was located? If you got the correct answer to that, you are getting the pair of tickets to see Jason Aldean's Highway Desperado Tour coming up on September 15th. Another chance to win that tomorrow and the next day here on BK and Ferrario, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Coming up next, the Cardinals have a problem in their bullpen, and I think it stems from their closer. We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside T-Bone and Grant on BK, our conversation continued through the break about what the etiquette is to touching my clothes. Don't touch my stuff. That's I, I feel like this BK's is not a totally difficult guy stance. That leaves it over time in the dryer. You know what? I am actually starting to think about it, and I'm like, maybe I'm that guy. And you are that maybe, guy. <laughs> maybe I'm the problem here. It's all starting to come together. I'm the guy that leaves my clothes in the laundry for an hour, and you got to figure out what to do around me. All right, speaking of working around somebody, that's what the Cardinals are having to do right now with Ryan Helsley. I don't know what the plan is moving forward with the former closer, now sometimes closer, sometimes not available, Ryan Helsley. I think there's a chance, T-Bone, that he is for the Cardinals, now to a lesser degree, what we saw Josh Hader become for the Brewers. And what I mean by that is, while an overwhelmingly great talent You have to piece everything around that player to fit what they need. So Hayter basically told the Brewers, listen, I'm not going back to back. I'm certainly not going three in a row. Two out of three is a little tough, and I'm always getting a clean inning, and I'm only closing out games for you. And so that was the role, and he was excellent within that role. But when you have one player that has to be utilized a specific way, Now you've got to be able to backfill everything else around what that player needs and does. So if instead you have, for example, like a Jojo Romero, who prior to this injury uh, was basically doing whatever the Cardinals needed. You need two innings, he'll go out there and give it to you. You need him to finish out one inning and continue on to the next. Great. You need him to go back to back. Got it. He was willing to take the ball when you needed to. Jordan Hicks did the same thing at the end of his tenure here in St. Louis. 
I think the Cardinals have too many guys on the roster currently. This includes Tyler O'Neill. It includes Ryan Helsley that you have to bend around them. You have to bend around what they do well and what they want to do when they feel like going out there and pitching or playing. I don't want those guys on my team. I want to be able to go out there and be able to trust the guys that I have available to be at their best or to give me their best every single night. I just don't know that you can do that right now with Helsley or with Tyler O'Neill. So I tend to agree with you that I don't want guys like that that basically dictate their own playing time. Um, but I will say this. I would throw Helsley in a different conversation than O'Neill. Why? Because I think he's got the best stuff in your bullpen. I think Tyler O'Neill has some of the best talent in your outfield. I think he has some of the best talent, but he's never been able to continuously show it. Did you see the 2021 season? I did. I saw the 2022 season, too. I've seen Ryan Helsley every year other than last year. I think this year when he has been healthy, his stuff has looked good. I think this year when Tyler O'Neill has been healthy, his bat has played. Over the last two months, like since he returned from the injured list, he has a 900 OPS. Yeah, I think he's been good since the recent injury. I think at the beginning of the year, he was not good. And I don't think that was injuries. I Um, think at the beginning of the year, Ryan Helsley also wasn't good. He had a bunch of blown saves. I... I don't get me started on blown saves, but um, it's true. I can't deny it. I think does it become harder to plan around a guy like Ryan Helsley in your bullpen? Absolutely, but I think it is still the theme of the Cardinals' offseason of why do they need to load up the bullpen? Not because it's not just because it's lacking talent, but also so they can help backfill this with Ryan Helsley. I do think Helsley should be a part of the plans next year. His do stuff you? is electric. Yeah, I would I would plan on having Ryan Helsley in the bullpen. I, I just think his stuff is too electric. I like what the Brewers did, I totally understood where they were like, we just can't keep doing this with Josh Hader. We can't do it where it is back to back days. He can't pitch. I think you plan around that when you got a guy that's got that good of stuff. And I think Helsley's stuff can be not up to Hader's level, but close enough to where I can say, Okay, I'm willing to get away with he can't pitch back to back days. Now, if that becomes an issue in the playoffs and he's unwilling to do that in the playoffs, then yeah, I'll pack his bags for him and I'll send him out of town. But I think Helsley's too good. His stuff is too good and one of the best in baseball when he is healthy and right that I'm willing to say, okay, let's backfill this bullpen around Ryan Helsley. I would trade Ryan Helsley for another reliever. Like not even going with a position player because last year there was that conversation about Danny Jansen. Do you maybe go that route? Um, Cardinals, they decided to go a different direction. They wanted Wilson Contreras, but that was apparently a conversation last season. If you can get a, a pitcher, a, a reliever, that has not as good a stuff as Helsley, I'm admitting defeat on that. You're not going to find that for Ryan Helsley. But as more control, maybe has options available and allows you a little bit more flexibility within the, pull, within the bullpen, both in terms of like individual games and also just what you're able to do with guys going up and down from Memphis. I think I would probably consider that this offseason because I, I think they have lacked flexibility in the bullpen this year, both from a Memphis shuttle perspective and also where can we utilize guys? How can we piece this thing together? And I think Helsley has been a big part of that. I don't know how anybody can be confident that Ryan Helsley will be healthy next year. I I mean, my guess would be he misses a month due to injury at some point next season. And I have no idea what his effectiveness will be when he is healthy next year. And I don't know what the situation's going to be in terms of playing him in back-to-back games. Right now, they can't. Ollie came out yesterday and said, hey, listen, it's not going to be scripted because I'm not doing that because one thing that Helsley needs to be better at is being ready whenever. But, yeah, we're not going to do back-to-back. It's just going to be high-leverage innings, and we'll see kind of where this thing goes. 
I don't want to have to deal with that again next year. It, I, I'm beyond that. There's only two years left of club control for Ryan Helsley. If you're going to trade him, this is the offseason when you probably have to do it. And so for me, you're not just giving Omoe for scraps. This is I, I'm not with Helsley where I am with O'Neal, where I would even be okay with non-tendering O'Neal. But I am to a place where I'd be more than comfortable trading him for a, a solid reliever who is worse than Helsley, but with more control. See, I don't know if I would trade Helsley for another bullpen arm. Can I get a starter for him? Like a f- number four? What would you be willing to listen to on a starter? Like, I, if I'm trading Helsley, I'm not shooting for just another bullpen arm. I would just rather have Helsley in the bullpen. For- then Hesley. I would just rather have Ryan Helsley. Can I and like the if they did the position player one, that one is interesting. I just don't know where you would go to look for that this year. They have too many position players. As exactly. Is. So to me, it just comes down to okay, do I want Ryan Helsley? That though I probably got a plan around, not available back to backs, and is going to be out a month, or would I rather have just some other reliever that's got control? I think I'd rather have Helsley because he's got some of the best stuff in baseball when he's right, and I I know that it is annoying. And trust me, I get irritated by hearing players complaining like O'Neal that his knee's hurt and he can't be in the lineup and seeing the stuff with Ryan Helsley to where they've got to do all this game planning around him. I'm willing to do it, though, because I think he can be the guy that's at the back end of that bullpen that can be the shutdown reliever that you really need in a playoff series, and it just comes down to they've got to do a better job of filling in around him, and that's the part that I would say is you just need to do a better job of that, and then Helsley's not as much of a conversation piece. 314-399-9646 Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, how would you be getting better in the bullpen if you decide to move on from Ryan Helsley? It's a fair question. I would say this. I'm going out to the market, and T-Bone gave us a bunch of names a uh, couple of weeks ago now on who you could go out there and try to target. Guys that aren't going to cost you a ton of money, but you can go to market and try to bring one of those guys in. I'd bring one or two of those guys in. And I would be trading Ryan Helsley. I I don't have a specific name for you because, let's be honest, most relievers in Major League Baseball are nameless and faceless. And three years from now, you forget about them that they ever existed. But go get one of those guys that profiles kind of like a Chris Stratton plus. Going to take the ball for you a lot. Going to be effective in the opportunities that he's given. He probably fits into the sixth and seventh inning for you into that mix. That's the kind of thing that I'd be looking for. Younger guy, got options available to him, making no money at all. Ryan Helsley's probably going to make about $3 bucks next year, maybe a little bit more than that, and I would just repurpose that money. The Ryan Helsley money plus Tyler O'Neill, it's about $8, 9000000 bucks. I would just use that on a reliever. Hell, I might even use that on Jordan Hicks, and I could go out there, get Jordan Hicks, bring him back for the money that I'm saving from Helsley and O'Neill, and instead of, ha- instead of having a couple of guys that I can't trust to go out there regularly— I've got Hicks, who I know is going to take the ball regularly for me. So that would be the route that I would try to go instead. I just don't know if you can even find two relievers. Because if you're doing that saving, what was that, like 10 mil? I think we were at there. Maybe try and purpose that into two guys at 5 mil each on one-year deals. I'd probably do one with the 10, and then I'd go get another guy at like three or four. And that's the Drew Verhagen rule. Yeah, and I don't know if you can get two guys that equal the stuff that Helsley has. And that's where I would push back. And that's where I would say like... That's why, though it is a pain in the ass to figure it out with Ryan Helsley, I want the guy that has the best stuff at the back end of the bullpen. And and that's why I'm willing to kind of sit through and work through all the issues that come with Ryan Helsley because I know that guy's got dominant stuff at the back end of the bullpen that can come in, whether it be the eighth inning in a high-leverage spot or come in and close the game in the ninth for us. Yeah. I My thing with Helsley is I think we overstate how dominant he is. I think last year he was. Other than last year, though, 
five two ERA in twenty twenty, four six ERA in twenty twenty one, and this year he has a three zero ERA, but it feels like the big blow up innings are just waiting to happen. Um, and earlier in the season, we saw him blow some significant leads. Um, his stuff's really good. Don't get me wrong. And yesterday we saw it again. He was throwing 102. Like it, it was back up to full form. I, it's ready to explode at any point in time. And he's a ticking time bomb out there. I would rather do the churn within my bullpen with him going into this offseason just because I, I don't, I don't want to play this Ryan Helsley roulette again in 2024. Um, I, I would be looking for a little bit more certainty out of the bullpen. And I acknowledge this dude might end up being the best closer in baseball again next year. That is absolutely in the realm of possible. It's also possibly throws 20 innings. And so I, I want to get off of that. There are going to be great 20 innings. I want to get out of that roulette game, and I'm going to go find somebody that I'm a little bit more confident is going to be able to take the ball 65 times for me next year. You're going to get 20 great innings, and you're going to like it. That's T-Bone. He's Grant. I'm VK. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Bet It or Forget It here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line here on 101 ESPN. It is time for Better or Forget It. You give us a scenario. We are telling you if we are betting it or forgetting it here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's start with this. After last night's performance by Tommy Edmond, guys, bet it or forget it. Tommy Edmond gets more starts in center field than any other player for the Cardinals next season. Oh, I'm going to say... I think I'll bat it. I think it's going to be really close, though, especially if they do end up going that platoon route that you talked about, because I think that is definitely a possibility where they go Newbar against righties and Edmund against lefties. But I think at some point they may start the season that way, but at some point I think they'll say, you know what, his range and center is too good. We'll forget about the arm issue, uh, even though T-Bone will always be harping us about it. Um, we'll start Edmund every day in center field, so I'll say bet it. I think he'll finish with more starts in center field next year. I'm with you. I'm betting it, too, especially hearing Ali Marmol and some of the players talking about his play in center field. They're all so excited about what he's done in center field, so yeah, I'm betting it. I'm going to forget it because I think he gets the majority of his starts in the outfield against lefties, and that means about 30% of the time he'll be starting in center field. I just, I heard what John Denton said earlier today, and I am terrified that the Cardinals are running it back with Tyler O'Neill. I don't want that to be the case. Obviously, I've made that pretty clear. But if they can't get a real return for him, I think they've shown us with their actions that they're not just going to give up on him. And they're going to say, hey, we've got this guy that's a really good defender out there. He can hit 30 home runs for us if he's healthy, and we're going to run it back with him. And if that ends up being the case, well, Lars Newpar's your center fielder. Tyler O'Neill's your left fielder. And Tommy Edmond and Brendan Donovan are placed into utility roles. And one of them might end up getting traded. My guess would be Tommy Edmond would be the one that ends up on the outside looking in. And keeping Tyler O'Neill over Tommy Edmond would be a huge mistake. Huge mistake for this team. Hell, keeping Tyler, Tyler O'Neill over Dylan Carlson, in my opinion, would be a massive mistake. So um, I'm going to forget this, but I hope it ends up being wrong. T-Bone? Bet it or forget it. 
the Cardinals will have a top 10 bullpen next year. Dude, predicting bullpens is nearly impossible. <laughs> Who did the little? I did. I'm forgetting that. <laughs> I, I'm going to say forget it because it will take so much for them to be able to get there. But in your your trading Helsley. Yeah. Your bullpen. I, <laughs> the, I think the Phillies are top 10 this year in ERA for their bullpen, if I'm not mistaken. And if you remember over the last few seasons, that's been the biggest issue for Philly. So I'll, I'll say forget it, but I think it. These things flip quicker than I think a lot of people give it credit for. See, I would bet it because I think if you bring in two arms, and again, they wouldn't be super costly. Um, Pierce Johnson, who pitched last night for Atlanta, I think is a should be a target for the Cardinals, was on my T-bone three. Emilio Pagan, who's pitching for uh, Minnesota. I like, you bring in those two guys, probably cost like five mil, I would say, sure. five to seven. Bring in two guys, and then you've also got JoJo. Geo kind of fits in somewhere in that mold, middle relief, sixth slash seventh inning, and you've got Ryan Helsley at the back end of the bullpen. Like that has the recipe for a bullpen that should be top ten in ER right now. Where I would say would be the concern is what you've talked about is then you're kind of locked into no Memphis shuttle. You got five guaranteed contracts or six guaranteed contracts on the books where nobody's going up and down, and that's the issue they ran into this year. So it would have concerned me. Yes, but I do think you need to add swing and miss guys to that bullpen, and I think Pierce John, Tamil, Pagan are guys that could do that. You know who I would like to see them kind of figure out what the plan is with them? And I loved this guy last year, but I, I think it's a spot you can upgrade from your bullpen is Andre Pallante. I'm not sure he fits into what they're trying to build out there. I, I think another team might value him more as like a fifth starter than what the Cardinals do right now as a, as a bullpen arm. I just don't know what the role is. He's not really a long man. He's trying to get you ground balls, but he specifically works well against lefties, and he's not been as good this year against lefties as he was last year. I, I think that's a spot that I might try to upgrade going into next year. And maybe that means sending him down and just using one of those options and trying to either work it, stretch him out as a starter or work on a specific pitch with him out of the bullpen. But I think that's a spot that I would be trying to upgrade this yeah, offseason. I, I agree with you. What I would do is I would probably plan on having him in Memphis, see if you can work on finding a way. How can you get right-handers out? Because I do think you can have a role for him sure. where he is a ground ball pitcher. Now, not when we've got the infield in and runners at second and third, Ollie, but um, I think there's a role for having a ground ball pitcher in a bullpen. Granted, he's got to be able to get righties out, and that's the biggest thing is he can't be as, as splitty as he is. If he can get, like, 250 average against righties, but he gets ground balls against them, and he's good against the lefties as he is, is now, then there's a role for that guy in your sure. bullpen. But I, I wouldn't plan on him probably being there to begin the year. But going back to what Michael Gersh said on this show about there not being that much work to be done outside so of starting that, pitching. That that quote kind of goes out of context. Okay, What he was trying to say there was normally you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got a center fielder. You've got a starter. You've got a reliever said this year what they've got is basically we just need to focus on pitching so he knows like hey we we need starters we need relievers i think it gets a little bit thrown out of context of okay he was trying to say like hey we only need the three starters i don't think that's what he was trying to say there that's fair then if the, I, I, well you're gonna be I disappointed hope, yeah. when jacob barnes is back <laughs> in this bullpen if the cardinals do go after some bullpen pieces in the offseason obviously that changes my perspective on it but that was my thought process sure. going into that uh for me bet it or forget it jordan walker is going to be either first or second next year in home runs on the cardinals well, that's interesting. Uh, by the way, Andre Palante this year against uh, right-handed hitters, they're hitting 385 with a 470 on base percentage. Oh, so they're all like Ronald Acuna yeah. against them. That's nice. Um, 
for first or second in home runs. Yeah, I'm going to forget this. I think first next year will be Nolan Gorman in home runs. I think second will be Nolan Arenado in home runs. I think both of them finish with 30 plus. So I, I think he's more of a 25 home run guy than a 30 plus guy. Yeah, I would forget this too, because I think you're right. Gorman, Arnado, one, two. I could see where he finishes third, though. Yep. I could see where he finishes ahead of Paul Goldschmidt, Lars Newbar. Trying He's to think of anybody this else. Year. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Of, oh, Contreras. I, he may have a tough time competing with Contreras, but I could see where he could um, hit. What's Contreras at now? He's 16. not even. I'll say, he's he's got not even one at 20. more home run in 20 more games than Jordan Walker. Yeah, so I could see where he ends up beating out Contreras too. So I would forget it. But if you said top three, I would have been in on this because I think he'll be a top three home run hitter for them next year. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same uh, mindset. I think number three is good for him. I do think he'll have more than Paul Goldschmidt next year. I agree. That's where I'd go with that. Uh, all right, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for bet it or forget it. Let's get to a couple of these real quick before we get to Chris Kerber on the other side. Guys, better to forget it. One of Tyler O'Neill or Ryan Helsley will be an all star for a different team next year. I'm going to forget it because it sure sounds like both are going to be back. <laughs> well, see, I was going to say bet it because it's kind of the theme. Um, leave St. Louis become an all star. So. I would bet I could see where they move O'Neill. I don't think they'll move Helsley because of what I said. I I could see them moving O'Neill. He somehow stays healthy for a full year and he becomes like the lone all star on a really bad team. Like I think that's totally in the cards. And you shouldn't freak out about it. No. Because it was the right decision to move on from him. This isn't the Randy Rosarena or Oldies Garcia. Cody Bellinger. Yeah, exactly. I think I would forget this one. I think Ryan Helsley will be here, and I don't think Tyler O'Neill will get back to all-star level on a different team. From the 618, better to forget it. At least one of the three catchers that the Cardinals have are moved this winter. Are you guys surprised that they haven't called up, by the way, Yvonne Herrera? I thought that was going to be a September 1st call-up. I assumed that when I got back from um, Tennessee, they would have him on the roster. By the way, now that you mentioned that, is Luke and Baker on the roster? I remember he was a big, like, I don't think so. talking point. Uh, remember, Mo said his name at, uh, after the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily surprised because Kisner's been playing really well to where I think they were just like, how are we going to balance? Th- we struggled balancing five outfielders for three spots. How are we going to balance three catchers for one spot? Um, oh, Luke and Baker is on the roster. Okay. I thought he was, but I wasn't 100% sure. <laughs> Genuinely had no idea. When did the last time he play? I'll have to look it up. Um, Because I remember he, Mo mentioned his name after, after the trade deadline, and I couldn't remember if he was on the roster or not. Luke and Baker's last at-bat came on August 30th. It's been a while. It's been about a week. Um, I'll bet this, though. I think they're going to trade one of the catchers. I, I think if they're trading for a starter, one of those catchers in Kisner or Herrera is going to be a part of that deal and will be viewed as, like, part of the focal point of that deal. Because Kisner— Carson Kelly, basically, of the Goldie. Yeah, because Kisner looks like a everyday catcher right now. And any team that has any question mark around catchers should be willing to bring in the captain. And then Yvonne Herrera— I know it's been small sample size, but you saw like more marginal improvement from last year. Better framing, better blocker, and the bat translated fairly well in the small sample size that he had while he's up here. And he's been known as an offensive first catcher. So I would bet this. I think one of Kisner or Herrera is this offseason. You know, who, you know who should trade for Kisner is Miami. Yeah. Or Herrera, either way. I, that, that's a team that I would be keeping an eye on. They've got Jacob Stallings as their starting catcher, and he's exclusively there to be a good defensive-minded guy. Really good behind the plate, calls a good game, frames well. 
that's his entire role, and that's what you're trying to bring in with Andrew Kisner as well. I'm going I'm to bet this. I think that they will trade one of the three. I'd bet it too, and I find it kind of frustrating too because I, I thought Jamie made a really good point yesterday on the fast lane that I agreed with in in that the purpose of the rest of this season is to find out what you have. Why, why would you not have Yvonne Herrera up here? Because Andrew Kisner, you know what he is. Yeah. He's a really solid backup catcher for you, and at times he overtakes William uh, Wilson Contreras in his catching ability. But if there's one catcher that you don't know exactly what you have, you just find that he's got a really good upside, it's Avon Herrera, and you're not finding out what he is yet. I don't understand that part. Welcome to the Cardinals logic. Yeah. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the Blues with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pencil it into your calendar right now, September 22nd. That's a Friday night. You can come out to meet all of us and some blues out of Blues and Brews. 101 ESPN and Bud Light partnering up at Anheuser-Busch Brewery so we can all get fired up for the blues season at the Outdoor Street Party. Features live music plus appearances by blues players, alumni, food trucks, Blues merch, 101 ESPN giveaways, and so much more. If you want to check it out, visit 101ESPN.com for event details, and you can purchase your tickets for Blues and Brews coming up on Friday night, September 22nd. Meet us all out there. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, I believe, is going to be involved in that as well. He's joining us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Kerbs, I know the Blues, I believe it, uh, they recently updated on who the Blues players are that are going to be out there. Are you excited for Blues and Brews? Yeah, this is going to be a fun event. It's, uh, it's kind of the way our old icebreaker event has morphed into the kickoff to the preseason and the regular season, and this one's going to be a blast. Well, we're looking forward to it. Going to have a bunch of Blues players out there. They recently announced that they've uh, got a bunch of current guys are going to be out there. I think Robert Thomas is going to be available. I believe that they've got Jordan Bennington out there. So many more. So uh, lots of fun will be had for Blues and Brews. All right, Curbs, let's get into this team. We talked yesterday with Jeremy Rutherford, and he had a great piece over the weekend. I don't know if you saw it on Colton Pareko and where he's at mentally and physically going into this season. We talked with JR about the the pairing that he's going to have going into this season. In an ideal world, what do you think the pairing partner is for Colton Pareko? Well, I I, shoot, I guess I, I guess in an ideal world right now, you'd be talking, I'd say Nick Letty and say you have, you have Falk, you know, in the one pairing, and then you've got Letty in the other pairing, and Pareko is, is, is I think, paired up with Nick Letty. I, you know, guys, I, I think one of the reasons that you saw so many different guys paired up with Colton Pareko was not the way a lot of people read that, of they're having a tough time finding a partner for Pareko. It's Pareko's good enough that they put anybody with him, and he was making other players better, and that's so... Um, but 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 all all the way around, those top four are going to have to end up being a lot better anyway. So I but I, I think it shifts out where, in all likelihood, you see Nick Letty with him. Curbs, I, when I look at the Blues and I look at kind of the landscape of the Western Conference, I think they're kind of muddled together right now with like Nashville, Winnipeg, Calgary, all these teams that are going to be vying probably for a wild card spot. 
is the top four the thing that will separate the Blues from those teams in that kind of muddle group that can get them over the top and back into the playoff picture? You know what, Tanner? I, yes. I mean, I guess the simple answer would, would would be yes. But for me, like the the way this division is set up, you know, I'm not sure that I, I think like like I think for example, Nashville got better, right? Um, you know, the way they did it. I, I like the, the way the team was built. I like the coaching hire. I like everything about what they did. Okay, I, I think I just think the competition is once again going to prove to be really stiff in the Central Division. For me, the key for any kind of rebound of the playoffs for the St. Louis Blues, it's going to be the start of the season. If you get through the month of October, 500 or better, you've done it right. For this team, because because in the end, I think that this team's going to have to, uh, they're going to have to somehow by the midway point of the season find themselves five to seven games over 500. Okay. Because so if, if you figure you could play the two halves at five to seven games over 500, that puts you to 10 to 14 over at the end of the year. That's going to be a playoff team. What it will also do is it will make sure that you are playing meaningful games at a meaningful time, and that I think will keep the intensity up as well. So I just, for, for me, the key to the St. Louis Blues is going to be a, a really good October and then don't let off in November. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Kerbs, uh, over on The Athletic, they put out a bunch of projections. And one thing that they ended up doing uh, was a projection for a lot of different players on how many points they will get this season. For Pavel Buchnevich, they have him finishing the season with 32 goals and 81 points. If you had to take the over or under on that, what would you end up going with? Oh, 32 goals and 81 points. Uh, I actually, I think I'm going to end up having to take the under. But I like those totals. I think Pavel Butchnevich, especially with a couple of the guys that, that have been lost, I think Pavel Butchnevich definitely can be a 30-goal scorer in the league. Um, to be a point-of-game player, you to, to be a point-of-game player, you have to really go with your teammates really well. Like it's a bit that's a big teammate type stat, right? So will we see the kind of jump we need to see in those others? I really hope we do see it, but that's asking a lot. I, for me, I'd like to see 25 goals and 70 to 75 points from Pavel Butchnevich, and, um, and I think you're having a great year. For Yakub Vrana, they had his uh, goal total set at 27. Would you take the over or under on Yakub Vrana at 27? I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under because, guys, like, does he have the ability? Sure. But again, where is his role going to be? And we don't know yet whether that's a top six or top nine. And there's a big difference in those two roles, right? Uh, whether it be the quality of the opponent that you're playing against, if you're in the top six, could be the quality of the player you're playing with. Do the Blues have a centerman on the third line, you know, to help him get to 25 goals if he is in that more of that role? I don't know about that. So, um, so. Geez, that's another one. Would we love to see it? Hell yeah. But but if you get a 20-goal season out of him, you're, you're going to be happy. Closer to 30 would be spectacular. So, But I just I don't know his role yet, so if I'm, if I'm betting with my head, I'm betting a little under. Taking the overs on both of those. Curves, we appreciate the time as always, my man. We'll talk with you again next week, and we're getting excited about the start of the blue season. 
All right, guys, have an awesome weekend. Talk to you next week. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here as he does each and every Wednesday on BK and Ferrario. Coming up next, we're going to hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's always available at 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It is also free for you of charge over at YouTube. 101ESPN STL is where you can go to find it. It's always available and T-Bone breaks it down for you. So if you missed a specific segment, you want to be able to find it. See, we'll have it ready to go for you right after the show. It's always ready by about 3 o'clock. Always so. working hard, All, even after the show. You can't beat it. One of the best uh, producers in the country right here on BK and Ferrario. All right, let's finish the show the way that we began it today, which is by giving kudos to Jordan Walker for putting on a show last night, man. Just an incredible performance by him. Finished the night 3 for 4, scored 3 runs, drove in 2, had a homer, had a double as well. And this is just a continuation of what he's been since August 2nd. He is batting 315 with an OPS nearing 1000. He has been on a hot streak unlike anything we could have imagined for a player of his ilk or of his age. Rather, I'm ready to hand him a contract extension. They don't have to do it today. I don't think they're going to do anything at the end of the season. But before the start of next year, I would like to see Jordan Walker get a contract extension similar to what Corbin Carroll and Julio Rodriguez signed with their respective teams. Seven or eight years, around $120 million is what those guys both signed for. And Rodriguez's deal is a little bit more unique in that it has like option years at the back end of it where it can become like a 10-year, $250 million contract. I'm fine with that too. If you want to add some team options on the back end, great. If he's not open to that, then just get the seven or eight years out of the way. You don't have to worry about arbitration. You can just get the business done on the front end. But T-Bone, I've seen enough. His improvement in the outfield is such that I feel good with him defensively. And his approach at the plate right now is, I mean, among the best on the team. He's already top five on the team in OPS this season. Yeah, I'm typically the guy that does not want to hand out contract extensions and play out the arbitration process. Jordan Walker's just a different deal. He he is a superstar in the making and one that you developed internally. I, I can't find really a knock on him. Early in the year, it was the hitting the ball on the ground, but he's even started to get that better. You're seeing him lift the ball more. I mean, look at that pitch he hit last night for a home run. That's a pitch, and BT mentioned it on the broadcast last night. That's a pitch earlier on in the year. That's like a ground ball to short, mm-hmm. and maybe hits it so hard it gets through for a single. But he's hitting for decent average. He's getting on base at a good clip. He's slugging. He's showing the power. That's all going to improve. That's all going to get better as he starts to mature into his body. And he's shown improvements defensively, too, where I think he had his best defensive week last week in that Pittsburgh series. And then I can't remember who they played before that, but he was great defensively. He's showing signs of a guy that I can't find a flaw on to where it says, okay, if this is what he's doing in year one, what's he going to be doing in year five? I think he's a superstar in the making. So I'm 
this is the one guy that I would say I'm willing to give him the contract extension this offseason. I think you're right. Right around that Corbin Carroll, Julio Rodriguez deal is what the Cardinals should be trying to explore. Would you consider one with Flores Newbar? It won't be the same. It won't be to the same degree as a um, an extension for Jordan Walker because Walker's 21 years old. He's got, I mean, like you said, five tool talent. Newt Bar might be something that's closer to like a five-year extension, but would you would you consider doing one with Newt? I would not do one with Newt yet. Would you consider one with Nolan Gorman? I wouldn't. I, no, I love Nolan Gorman, but he's such a swing player that I he could be he's Kyle Schwarber to where it could be like, hey, thirty home runs and hit one seventy-five, or it could be like two sixty and forty home runs. So no, I would definitely do one this offseason with Jordan Walker. That one's a no doubter for me, and I would be open to one with Lars Newt Bar. I would be open to the idea of it because I think that on-base percentage is real. And if he starts hitting for more power, now you're talking about a guy that's going to get absolutely paid on the on the free agent market. We just saw last offseason the best comp for him is Brandon Nimmo. And he is a healthier version of Brandon Nimmo. At least you hope that he will be. He's 26 years old right now. He has been a 350-plus on-base percentage, and he has yet to hit his stride in terms of his the prime of his major league career. So... If he can become that guy, I'm open to it with Newt. I would definitely do it with Walker, and I'm with you. I wouldn't do it yet with Nolan Gorman. I want to see one more year with him. I don't, I'm not out, but I would like to see another year of Gorman. And first. I'm like one year away from Newt Bar. If he can show like consistent power next year and stay healthy, then yeah, I would be all all in on probably going with an extension with Newt Bar. Uh, the guys that I would not do an extension with right now are Edmund or Donovan. Agreed. Donovan because of his age, Edmund because I just I think he's the guy that ends up getting replaced at shortstop by Mason Wynn and in center field by Victor Scott. And I just don't know if they ever out really outprice themselves in arbitration. That would be my thing. I, I'm going to be very curious to see what he ends up getting. He's already at five mil. Who he, Edmund? Yeah, yeah. He, he might get like seven, eight, nine million dollars this year in arbitration. And he's got one year left. That means he's on track for like $15 million two years from now in arbitration. Yeah. He's going to get himself a, a pretty penny. I, and I think Donovan's interesting, not so much next year because he's in arbitration, but we just said, why do we like Newpar on base and slug? Let's not forget, Donovan was showing significant slug increase this year compared to last year. And he's going to be a 15-20 home run guy, Yeah, and, if not for the injuries. And I think that's probably what Newpar is, is a... 15-20 home run guy, or 25 maybe. Cardinals back in action tonight against the best team in baseball and one heck of a pitcher who's definitely not a top 10 pitcher in Major League Baseball, according to at least one list in Spencer Strider. He's Tanner Hendrickson. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.